You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Independence Day 2 Neon Demon. (laughs) Sorry if you're expecting an Independence Day podcast. That'll be next week. This week, we're going to be uh, discussing Neon Demon. Me and Christian Mlogski. Uh, My name's Bean. (laughs) With our Neon Demon (laughs) tagline. I'm looking forward to this. We have Kelly Wand. Mm. Lesbian necrophilia seemed hotter in my imagination. <laughs> wow, spoiler. I know. I knew you'd hate that. <laughs> it was just to get a tagline. Do you oh, have I... any that, that don't have spoilers? Tagline. It's like David Lynch, but slower. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Dingus loved that one. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. That's a success. But you haven't Good. won me over yet, Kelly Wan. You have one that might work for me. That's another spoiler, Tom. <laughs> Pranced. 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 Wow. Okay. Like a dandy. Uh, no. I don't know what that's all about. No, no. I, 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 I prance like a dandy. I'm, I'll own that. Well, you're supposed to be angry in that analogy, and they turn you into a fucking I'm Mary, revolutionary yeah. war fairy. <laughs> I'll take that. Sure. <laughs> Uh, so, Kelly Wan, is this just a two... I mean the fantasy creature, by the way. Not, I guess, oh, I understood. But... Right. Okay. Uh, was was this a twofer, or are there three taglines this week? Cosmoterrifying. Is that like a David Cronenberg Cosmopolitan reference? No, it's cosmetics. And, uh, oh, cosmetics. Uh, That's see? like that. What's the line where... Uh, I was worried about that. Steve Martin is talking to Bernadette Peters, and she says she's a, a cosmologist. What do you call someone who does makeup? Cosmetologist. That yeah. He is. That and was so like, yeah, weightless. Gravity. Yeah. Right. I like that. That's his. The only thing he knows about space, even, is that it makes you weightless. Not that, like you can't breathe in it, or there's aliens or something. Right. Like, yeah. I know you can't. What? You don't weigh anything. So he's actually not that dumb. But he is a jerk. <laughs> it should. I should have said cosmoterrifying. He's not a jerk either. That's another thing. I know. Right. Why? That just missed. That is poorly titled. Is he's just a poor. Yeah. Put upon the work. Yeah. He only calls himself a jerk when he's down on himself. The only jerk in that movie is M. Emmett Walsh for trying to shoot him. That's, that's a real jerky move. Well, he just picks someone at random. That's, oh, that's true. That's still jerky, though, to pick someone at random to shoot. It's that seems quaint. He doesn't even though. take everything from the house. He just takes a few things, like this and this and that. But they're all important things, Dingus, and that's the point. Yeah. Tom, M. Emmett Walsh just hated those cans. What did you call him, M. Emmett Walsh? First of yeah, all, that, that makes up for me uh, not remembering the name of Jakku last week. I feel redeemed. You forgot the Wait. name of Emmett Walsh. Who'd you get Jakku mixed up with? I called it Jakar, and you made fun of me for it sounding like... Oh, uh, the genie? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, you, you know uh, Disney Latin movies. <laughs> it's not even the genie. I tricked you well, again. Well, you guys have totally uh, balanced the books. Well done. Speaking of balancing, let's see whether <laughs> Kelly Wand... Or Zinkus Makralski is better at a contest called Which Fanning Is This? It's B. I'm going to give you guys – this is a contest. We're going to see which one of you wins. I have here 13 questions. The answer to either question is either L Fanning, Dakota Fanning, both, or neither. There's only two of them though, right? We're going to – yeah, there's only two. Uh, If they have another sister or brother, that person is not involved in this. Like Hanson. The answer is one of those four things. L Fanning, Dakota Fanning, both or neither. I'm going to alternate asking you guys a question. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I've got 13 questions here. 
Wow, 13 Who, fanning questions? Yeah, they're just very simple. Like, which one is – you'll see. Are they just you'll, pictures of her, and we have to pick which one's which? <laughs> right. Just point, Kelly Wand. It's, that reads yeah. great on a podcast. I kind of um, feel like you could do a, a Christmas song about this. The 13 questions of fanning, right. The oh. 13 fanning questions, yeah. Five so, fannings, fanning. So whoever gets the most of them right wins this game. So whoever begins is going to have an unfair advantage. So I'm going to let you guys choose. Which one of you do you think needs more help, uh, needs the advantage of going first in a showdown about who knows the most about the respective fannings? I'm an idiot, so I should get the crutch. Dingus, do you concur? I think I'm most often what? the answer. But, uh, but that's I not will. true. See, that's why I should get the crutch, because Dingus even thinks that. That's how dumb he is. But I will he concede. He loses. I'll concede that Kelly should have the, the fanning advantage or the okay. advantage. The fed, the fad advantage. Kelly Wand, which <laughs> actress was in more animated movies? Did the voice work in more animated movies? Uh, I was hoping for some impersonations, but I will say, <laughs> well, Dakota. Yes, Dakota Fanning has five animated movies to her credits. Elle Fanning only has two. Oof! Uh, duh. Wow. Uh, which, I guess. Dingus, which of the two actresses has played Wonder Woman? Oh, what? what? Wow, you, okay. Dakota, now I should point out, again, I'm just going to, every question can be Dakota Fanning, Elle Fanning, both or neither. Oh, it so. could be Neil Fanning, their estranged brother. No, as I mentioned at the outset, this is only Dakota and Elle Fanning. If they have other, if they have other siblings, they're not included in this quiz. It's only a bifacta, not a trifacta. Oh, that's weird. I'm going to guess L. Uh, no, Dakota Fanning did the voice for Wonder Woman in an animated, like, Justice League dually Oh, that, what movie was that? Uh, it's, it's the animated, I have to look up the name of it, but I just wrote down animated Justice League. So you're it's doing, Justice League. We're, we're doing TV now. We're doing credits. I mean, as I said, these are questions okay. about, we're not only we're, doing that. We're so doing TV. Is, here, right. Here's another example. Because There's no Wonder Woman movies. This is neither movies nor TV. <laughs> Kelly Wand, which one is taller? See, Dingus, that's the thing. Is these aren't at just what age? <laughs> at, at, at what age are there babies? Birth. 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 Yeah. Yeah. birth. birth. <laughs> What's a, that's a pretty good what's joke. What's the taller birth height? <laughs> Wait, maybe that's a clue. Because Tom's. These are so I don't. These are their their heights as listed on IMDb. So I'm assuming they're relatively current. They're not when they were 10. Uh, so which one is taller? And you don't have to – this is – like I said, the answer is always going to be L, Dakota, both or neither. Uh, both are taller. <laughs> is that your answer? No. It's L. L is 5'9", Dakota is 5'4". Kelly Wan, that's two points for you. Good job, Dingus, let me see. Let me give one. Okay, Dingus, which one has been in a movie directed by Steven Spielberg? <sighs> Because Dingus is all, no movies. This is just 13 I have listed. I'm just going down the list here. Some of these are harder. Some of these are easier. I'm going to say neither. Dingus, War of the Worlds. You, the line we just quoted, birth, uh, Dakota oh. Fanning. I thought yeah, that would I be thought you were trying to uh, mess me up with Super 8. No, <laughs> but that is that is what I was thinking. Is oh, I'm gonna look. So the trick would have been both, not neither. Well, Spielberg didn't direct. I said directed by Spielberg. Yeah, he didn't direct Super 8. Yeah. So I thought Tom was trying to trip me up. No, no, it was uh, War of the Worlds. Because I, I was... I was thinking neither of them was in a Spielberg movie. I looked it up, and I was like, oh, yeah, War of the Worlds, duh. Uh, Kelly Wand, which one 
has a higher average – because, Gellywan, this will trip you up. Which one – You're not asking him questions about movies. Well, the thing is, settle down. I'm gonna. This is a movie question. This one right here, and Dingus. This one, by the way, I'm predicting Kelly Wand. Well, not that he won't get it. He'll have no clue what the answer is. He's just gonna have to toss a coin. So, Kelly Wand, here you go. The movies of which actress have a higher average rating on Metacritic? Like, if you look at all the ratings of Elle Fanning movies on Metacritic, all the ratings of Dakota Fanning movies on Metacritic, which one has a higher average? Which actress? Dakota. Nope. Elle Fanning is at 54. Dakota Fanning's movies are at 50, oddly enough. Oh, I, you know, the, the I would say that would be evenly enough. Yeah, neither. 50. Uh, no, right, right. Neither is never the answer. 54. So, Dingus, similarly, which one has eh, – well, you know what? I'm just going down the list. Which one has the highest rated movie on is Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, oh Lord. Really? Of any movie ever? Yeah. You know, this was a – I'm just going down the list because I'm not trying to trip you up. They both have a 93% for the same movie. They both did voice work on a re-release of My Neighbor Totoro, which is at 93% on That's Rock. That's a great Tomatoes. quiz. Let's keep so, going. Yeah, I know. It's just totally – Tom it's found questions with hard answers. Yeah, random ones with hard, ties. They're not hard answers. They're just <laughs> math. Yeah. Well, we don't have to do it. I just thought I just thought it would be interesting just for topics this week. So, no, Kelly, Juan, you win at two points. No, 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 wait. Keep going. Well, there's no, you've got 12 more of these. It's funny for fun. No, no, I know. That's fine. We don't have, so we'll, we'll go ahead and call it quits. But at any rate, that was this week's quiz was uh, Dakota or Elle Fanning. I thought it would be a fun topical thing. But we'll, we'll skip past that. Dingus, why don't you let the listeners know what uh, – Dingus – well, I mean, I can go past these, but if the guys feel they're just random, I mean, we don't have to do this. They're just well, no, they're, no, they're no, this no. kind of thing, like, like which actress did this, which actress did that. I mean, it's things like who had the earliest credit, which one was on Law and Order, who had the bigger box office hit. For instance, I didn't know this. Dakota was in the Twilight movies. I had no idea. Uh, so she obviously made the bigger uh, uh, box office impact. Wait, see, that's why I want to um, keep doing this because they're kind of – I don't know any of the answers, so it's kind you're, of – You're the new model in town, and we're messing with you. <laughs> Well, yeah. I've already given away, but it was also like which one had the earlier credit. Uh, Dakota predated Elle's work by like a year by doing an appearance on ER. Uh, oh, that's which, right. which one has played Ellen DeGeneres? Apparently Dakota played young Ellen DeGeneres on some skit on the TV show. So it was that sort of thing. So if we had stopped before, Kelly would have led uh, with uh, two to zero. Okay. And again, I just went down the list. I wasn't trying to make them, you know, oh, only movie ones for uh, Kelly, TV ones for Dingus, but – all right. Elle's more of an ingenue. Well, you know, we're going to we're gonna talk about that. On, okay. We're going to talk about that a little on the podcast a little bit because, Dingus, without spoiling anything, why don't you tell the listeners what movie we saw this week? All right. This week we saw The Neon Demon. It's not just Neon Demon. It's The right. Demon. Yeah. Uh, a 2016 internationally co-produced psychological drama horror thriller movie about what it means to aspire. It was directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, with story credit to him and screenwriting credit to him, and also screenwriting credit to Mary Laws and Polly Stenham. It stars Elle Fanning, Carl, Carl Glusman, Jenna Malone, Bella Heathcote, Abby Lee, and Desmond Hendricks. The Neon Demon is rated <sighs> demon. The Neon Demon. 
The Neon Demon is rated R for disturbing violent content, bloody images, graphic nudity, language, and a scene of aberrant sexuality. All of those are spoilers, by the way. Stupid MPAA. Kelly, Kelly, why did they leave anything out? Is there more that should be spoiled in the MPAA disclaimers that you feel should be in there? Um, I thought it was suitable for all audiences. (laughs) 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 Uh, On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews of Neon Demon that are positive uh, is 48. Hmm. Uh, On Metacritic, the average rating for all the reviews of Neon Demon, 51. Hmm. Neon Demon did not do well. They uh, it was released in 800 theaters, which really? is not a very wide. Re- it's, a, it's a relatively wide release, and probably one of uh, since Drive, one of uh, Refn's wider releases. Like I'm sure that Valhalla Rising never had that kind of release. Certainly, only <laughs> God Forgives didn't have that number of theatrical releases. Uh, but it opened relatively widely, but it only made about $700 per theater, which is terrible. Um, so critically and commercially, this movie did not do very well. Hmm. Now, synoptically. Kelly Wan had to dis- – oh, yes? Thing is- Critically – okay, 4851. Oh, I thought I – okay, never mind. Go ahead. Yeah, it's really low. I, I, well, we'll talk about that, but I, I was surprised at those numbers. Uh, I, yeah, me too. Like, seems like the movie that a lot of uh, critics would like. It's very art housey kind of. They bracketed a fanning. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Which one? Uh, so Kelly Wand, why don't you then go ahead and spoil the movie even more than than the MPAA did by uh, breaking down the events of Neon Demon with a Neon Demonopsis? Hmm. <laughs> you sound very disappointed in, in my choice. Well, there's not many ways to go. Anopsis. The neopsis. Nidopsis. I don't know. I mean, you can't, if you leave out a word, it always sounds weird. How about how about a, a refnopsis? Refnopsis? Yeah. Is that how you say his name? I think it is refnopsis. Or is anything silent? Is all of it silent? Well, the, the only thing I wonder is how to pronounce if it's winding or winding. Yeah. For some reason, I think it's winding. Because he's Dutch, so that makes it even crazier. He's Danish. <laughs> nice try. Is he Dutch? Or is, did I just screw up? Is he really Dutch and not Danish? I think he's Dutch. I'm an idiot. The, Bush, the Pusher movies are Danish, though. If he's a, if he's Dutch, he came over to Denmark uh, from the from uh, maybe I'm dumb. from the Amsterdam. You were well, he's from the Netherlands uh, to Denmark and did the Pusher movies. I assumed he was Danish. I could be wrong, but the Pusher movies where he started uh, are definitely Danish. They are not Dutch. He's a Dutch boy, not a Danish girl. <laughs> <laughs> the kind you don't take home. But to if my I can bring the house down, yeah. <laughs> um, what's the question? Yes. Oh, the, the question, Kelly Wand, I would like you to give us a refnopsis. I, I don't know, a neon demon synopsis. How about that? Uh, all right. <clears throat> Some synthesizers are all the neon dopsis. <laughs> I was close. I just left too much of the second word in there. A blonde woman from Super 8 meets a brunette person while doing a photo shoot for an advertisement for blood. The blonde one is considered unusual looking. The brunette person does makeup for people while they sleep. The Super 8 one's named after the governing wrestler from Minnesota who considered bleeding time-consuming and predator. Since the brunette one's brunette, her name's Ruby. The blonde one just got off a bus. 
Ruby's all, my, my, darling, deer in the headlights will sure like you. What do your parents think? They don't. You mean they're not parents or you're not liked? They're not in the room with us. Oh. Fuck, sorry. Synthesizers play. They find a restroom with more blonde women in it. I look over at Yodorowski sitting beside me and go, movies make that look easy. They meet a blonde woman who brags that a doctor's turned her bionic. Jesse's all. He sounds complimentary? Another blonde woman sniggers. Upon realizing she's been seen, she stops. The bionic one scowls at the sniggerer. Then to Jesse, she flips her hair and goes, So I hear your parents aren't here. That sounds pertinent. She looks hopefully over at the sniggerer, but the sniggerer just <coughs> stares back. The bionic one's all. My lipstick's called Dark Mist. Everything good's named after food or sex, which is why I love these quiche Q-tips. So which are you, Jesse? Food or tips? Jesse's all. Is that a compliment? The other girl sniggers again. Bionic's all. Jesus, she's just recycling her first line. You're an indiscriminate sniggerer. Everyone looks uncomfortable while synthesizers play. To lighten the mood, they go to a party where a guy in bondage gear is sacrificed to blue triangles and shrinks while synthesizers play. <laughs> I look over at Camille Polya sitting beside me and go, Like Event Horizon. Ruby gets her an appointment with a window room containing a professional blonde woman. The blonde woman's all... A thousand girls a day walk through that door, hoping I'll call them meh. I think you're double meh. I can get you an appointment with the man who can smear cake batter over you, but first I need a voided check for the full amount. Jessie's all. Oh, here, I have tens. She reaches into her purse and hands over a decapitated Czechoslovakian. The professional lady smiles sadly at Jessie's naivety. She's all, darling, you got a lot to learn. Later, in a very fancy photography studio in The Matrix, people, <laughs> thank you for standing around awaiting dismissal. Everybody leave except Jesse. I'll be using substantial amounts of batter. Synthesizers play in slow motion while ref and PG-13s around. Later, <sighs> all right, Mr. Baldman, candidate numbers 100 through 1,000 are here for their walking auditions. What's your name? Jesse? <laughs> Typical. I went to all the best walking schools. My hair is imported from Corsica. I can recite the alphabet in five minutes. My best knife deep throater in 10th grade. I can eat a cherry stem with my tongue. My purse is made out of Moroccan burlap. These tits are made out of extinct animals only. I eat handcrafted celery. My German shepherd is Gandalf. That's great, honey. Now, can you try walking without saying all that? I, I, she trips and falls. Nah, C minus. Next. Oh, my God. I've never seen steps taken with such blonde perplexity. What's your name? No, wait. It must be Jesse, the world's most beautiful name. The rest of you out. I need to watch Jesse walk alone for the rest of the day. I look over at Paul Verhoeven sitting beside me and go, Hey, in Crusader Kings 2, my king of Lithuania is a werewolf. That night, Damn it, lady. Pop quiz, hotshot. I told you the bobcat was 20 extra an hour. What do you do? 
Look, Mr. Reeves, I only have 140 cash, and I'm a photographer boyfriend, and I have a name. I think it's Connor. So don't damn it, lady me. Also, I accidentally ate one of the spoons, so I'll pay for that as well. There is no spoon. <laughs> Later at a diner without employees. You want to make it right? Then when you go to nationals, bring it. Don't slack off because you feel sorry for us. That way we beat you. We'll know it's because we're better. Oh, I'll bring it. Don't worry. I never do. Wow, that was amazing, Mr. Baldman. Yeah, I know. I've always been interested in acting at diners. It runs in my blood because I'm a creator, although we prefer the term illusionist. Gosh, Mr. Baldman, is that what we're doing in this scene, acting? Not what you're doing, of course, my dear, but take Jessie over there. Her blondness is way better than yours. Jessie, stand up for us, would you? Now turn around. No, the other way. Wait, now don't touch your nose at the Just leave your shoes on. What the fuck? Hey, look, mister, I've had just about enough of you. I had to bop you one. Oh, really? Aren't you only having sex with sweet little Jessie here because she's pretty? Yo, I prefer what's inside her, where I put my penis. Would you like Jessie if she was literally a shipwreck covered in coral? Beauty isn't the only thing. It's something. Fuck's coral. Come on, Jessie, let's get out of here. I'll show you what a full moon looks like. This guy can't act. You go, Connor. He made a good point. <sighs> Fine, but I'm leaving flustered. Mr. Baldman smirks as the plumber storms out. By the way, Jesse, I've decided that you watching my acclaimed Broadway show while you're on stage should be its grand climax. It's about blue triangles. I call it Chica. It's a prequel to my green squares one. Very overrated. I look over at Lena Dunham and whisper, In D&D, the eyes of the beholder shoot acid and stuff. That night, Jesse has an erotic dream that Keanu Reeves can't see well. Later, it was just like all my other Keanu Reeves dreams, but with fewer knives than usual. Anyway, thanks for letting me crash here with you, Ruby. I really want to have... <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> <clears throat> I really want to sleep with you. Ruby, what are you doing? I thought you just said... I meant sleep, Ruby. That way we can have sex later. Ruby, what are you doing? But you, I meant we, me and my ex-boyfriend. What the hell did you think I meant? Nothing, forget it. That's good, because I really care about you. That's why I think it's time you and I had sexual intercourse as lesbians. Kind of lingus, girl on girl. Ruby, what are you doing? Jesus, now where are you going? Ruby goes into the bathroom and draws a picture of Grimace from McDonald's on a mirror. Then she goes to her job at the sleep lab and has sex with someone who's really tired and has Frankenstein tattoos. I lean over to Vincent Gallo sitting beside me and go, I wouldn't mind being that mirror. Jesse wakes up and finds Ruby and her blonde nemesis all standing around outside holding knives and staring coldly at her. Jesse's all, what are we having, a party? The snigger or sniggers again. The put-upon blyotic... Blyotic Vaughn girl. <laughs> Is Lindsay it was Lindsay Wagner blyotic? Because she was blonde and bionic. Yeah. Okay. Because she didn't get the bionic eye, but she got just the ear. But I like I love the term blyonic Bond girl. Wow, that's that's something we haven't seen in a Bond movie yet. I look forward to that. Yeah. The special effects for a bionic ear are really hard to do, by the way. 
as with the plug. Play a tape recording from a distant, bad ambience. The put upon Blyonic girl scowls at her and goes at the sniggerer. Fuck! Let me start all over from the beginning. What are we having? A party? The snigger sniggers again. The put upon Blyonic girl scowls at her and goes, I said silent and creepy. Now, Ruby, you fill the pool, and then we hear Ruby chewing. She belches. The blonde girl rolls her eyes and goes, and then we'll eat her? After we, there's a thud accompanied by bones cracking. The blonde girl rolls her eyes again and goes, after we push her in? Jesus. Stupid non-bionic brains. To consolidate their spoils, Ruby covers her face in syrup and stares glumly from a couch while her blonde friends take a shower in slow motion blood together. With Jesse's death and the consumption of her corpse, life in L.A. returns to normal. Ruby goes back to sleep while smoking in a ditch near some tomato plants and trying to fill up the swimming pool by using just a garden hose. Until one day... Tiffany, what's so interesting about Jesse's corpse in the pool? Go inside and walk it off. The sniggerer lurches inside, throws up an eyeball, then cuts herself open with scissors while the second girl eats the eyeball while synthesizers play. As we cut to close-ups of some mudflat crevices, some words are all, for Liv. Beside me, Liv stands up and goes, fuck you, Liv! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Dingus, was I correct? This is not for you. Yep. See, Kelly Wand? Yeah. Uh, now, Kelly Wand, would I be correct in thinking I think it would be for you? Ah, uh, some of it. Okay. I, I thought the first half was sporadically stimulating, and the second half's kind of a buzzkill. That's what she said. Um, yeah. But, and I like, I, mean, I want to make myself like it, because it's, it's not a sellout film. It's got stuff that I haven't seen before. It's got an agreeable message. It really feels I, like he's sort of like after the, the commercial success of Drive, he's like, okay, now I'm going to do something really weird that the that you know that will never play as well as Drive. That the people who yeah. enjoy Drive will be completely uh, flabbergasted at. And right, and that's his yeah. So it's a deliberate choice. Yeah. So you know, I like you can't be mad at it. But I read a quote by him where he goes, "I've come to the conclusion that narcissism is wonderful, and it makes me feel objectified as a viewer." <laughs> Wait, bit. what? I don't. What, oh, you added to the quote. His quote was just "narcissism is beautiful." Yeah. And narcissism is no narcissism. He's come to the conclusion that narcissism is wonderful. Oh, wonderful! Right. Okay. So, uh, don't read. Don't don't read interviews with directors. Don't read interviews. It just, it just messes things up. <laughs> well, then I want. But after you see the neon demon, you're like, all right, wait, is he? Because after here's Donnie my theory. Darko, right, here's my theory about that sort of thing. Theory. I want well, to just, just about that comment. About that comment. Reading comments, directors go on press junkets. They get asked the same stuff. dumb questions over and over and over and over again. And I'm convinced that near the end of the press junket, they just get fed up and just start saying random things. Yeah. So <laughs> that's my theory about yeah. those sorts of comments. Okay, go ahead, Dingus. I'm sorry, I just I wanted to get that true. in. Uh, I just want to clarify this, this uh, because it's it's a little weird this whether it's for you or whether it's not for you and it seems to be it's it's definitely about like it, whether this is for dingers or not for dingers thing um cuz what what do you mean when you say that just for I mean the for same people cuz I- cuz I don't want it to sound like something that's dismissive um because you know my tastes you I mean we're very very close but but I just sometimes that's a little weird for people to hear whether it's that's not for dingers 
What it means is that there are probably about 20 movies I would rather you see in advance of this, based on okay. what I think you would feel about it. Uh, this movie is not, by the way, Dingus, you're not in uh, – like I was surprised that the, the critical aggregates were so low because I would think a lot of highfalutin, artsy, pretentious movie critics would love this thing. Um, but I think it's not for a lot of people. I'm not the least bit surprised that it has a low theatrical average. It doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would get good word of mouth. There's no one famous in it. Uh, would you recommend it? It's to hard you? To, to categorize. Yeah, like Kelly Wan, I would definitely recommend it to you. I yeah. think fans of horror, like who want to see really weird artsy horror movies, uh, I would recommend it to. Um, but I, we won't, we also we know Dingus's zone. We know we know our, each other's zones, and it's like Dingus doesn't seem to like movies where he kind of feels jerked around. And so I can see where you'd want to feel where you'd feel that way during this movie. And it's whether you kind of just want to t- wallow in it for fun. We have something that's funny funny about this is that uh, I accidentally heard Tom's opinion. Usually I never hear. We never share our opinions before we get to talk to each other on this podcast, Uh, even though, you know, we're around each other a lot or we might be in communication a lot over email or whatever. We don't have communication about that. But but because we had to switch up, I got to hear Tom's opinion about this early on. I didn't remember that. What did I say? You said you loved it, and it's not for me. And then oh. later, later that same day, we found out, oh, we're going to have to see that. And you said, forget whatever I said. Okay, about right, that. Right. <laughs> um, so when I actually went to see the movie, when I finally got to go into a theater and see it, and I was sitting there and going, you know, with every movie I want to see, uh, any movie I go in, um, no matter what, because I don't watch trailers just like you. I don't listen to anything. I don't read any interviews. Uh, I'm just a blank slate going in. Like, just wow me, wow me. And I, and I love Drive so much. Um, so when, you know, regardless of what you said, um, I'm going to want to watch and love the movie. And even more so the fact that you said, well, this probably isn't for you. Um, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to prove him wrong. And I'm going to love the yeah. hell out of this movie. You almost out of spite liked this movie, Dingus. Yeah. I tried so hard to like it out of spite. And it, just, it gets tougher as it goes to the state. It does not. It does, yeah. anyway. Well, also part of the it's not for you is it's different from saying – like I also saw The Shallows this week, and I know we we're all eager to see that. It's a shark movie. We like Juan Calet Sara's uh, Orphan. Uh, those of us who have seen Run All Night really like that. Uh Whereas The Shallows, I wouldn't say it's not for you. I would just say, oh, The Shallows sucks, don't go. When I say it's not for you, that means uh, there's a lot of cool stuff to appreciate, but it's not the kind of cool stuff that I think you look for in a movie. Well, not even annoyed. It's just not what Dingus looks for in a movie. I don't think Dingus would resonate with it. I suspect Dingus – because I know Dingus loves like I do Valhalla Rising. uh, I suspect Dingus respects a lot of the craft that's in Neon Demon. But It's Not For You means it's not the kind of movie that that – Reffin made for for Dingus. Like, I, anyway, but he's I also mean, proven us wrong too. Like, keep in mind, I we dis- I thought Dingus would like Martyrs, and he did. So it's like he could have liked Neon Demon. Sure, but as sure, I watched sure. it, I went, "There's no fucking way." I was <laughs> I, I was really bummed I wasn't watching it with Dingus because I think if he'd been there, I would have wanted to watch him watch it. I wish you had been there because I was like I was you know doing my thing where I flip off the screen every now and then. Did your lady and, see it with you? No, no, she couldn't go. Okay. Um, ah, and, um, yeah, I was really frustrated and, and hated a lot of this. Uh, and actually, you know, before Tom 
tells exactly how he feels about it because I don't think spoiler exactly heard that. Uh, Chris Markinson says something really cool. He said the movie this movie had a relationship feel for him in that he was in love with it, he was liking it, he was back in love with it, he was confused with it, he hated it, and then he was back to being okay with it. So it sounds like the arc of a relationship. Yeah. For him. I agree with everything. Well, part of watching it, too, is, is – and this is what I love about a movie like this, and this is what I love about Refn when he's doing his own scripts. He didn't he didn't write Drive. Uh, when he's doing his own scripts, there's this wonderful sense of what the heck is going to happen. And that's true of a lot of like movies that get made outside of the traditional studio system, uh, and I cherish that. I cherished watching Neon Demon and having no idea where it was going to go. Yeah. Like one of my favorite moments – and this – I. I'm not using jaw dropping as just a, a metaphor or an image mm. or an exaggeration. My my mouth just fell open during that cut, and this is the sort of thing that I just love so much. The edit to where it goes to uh, the two girls in the sports car driving to that Malibu shoot, and the, that loud roar of the engine, how it goes from the the wake of the murder and sort of the quiet sinisterness of it, to just that loud growl of the engine while they're going down the the uh, uh, Pacific Coast Freeway. You don't know if there's going to be a wreck. Like it's loud, and there there's this this roar, this almost like animal roar of this sports car, and those two girls are just sitting there as impassive as ever. That edit was amazing to me, and just that sequence and whatever it is in Reffin's mind that makes him want to put that little bit in that movie, that little bridge between the murder of Elle Fanning's character and the Malibu shoot. I oh my God, I loved that moment, and I'm not even sure I can articulate why I loved it. But I was just astonished at the abruptness of that transition, and that here's this guy making this sort of silky, languid, sexy, weirdly lit, artsy movie, and then he just drops in this garish loud scene of two girls driving a loud sports car. God, I loved that. Um, and you don't know when those good moments are coming. Yeah, so yeah. It can be both frustrating for some. Well, you also don't know, is this going to fall apart? Like, that's, right. that was my concern, like Chris Martin was like saying. This? Yeah, like, I was so worried it was going to fall apart, and, you know, it... There, there's a moment where I sort of was so won over that anything that he did, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, anything that the movie could have done, I uh, knew I was just going to cherish it, and I loved this thing. Uh, anything that could, and I'll just go ahead and roll this out. Anything that could have happened after uh, the murder of El Fanning's character, I would have been okay with. The fact that that's where the movie goes, I, I was just. Uh, that was just so – I mean it's morbid. It's and it terrible. keeps going. It's, it's, it it's keeps going. But what the movie sort of so, – so Valhalla Rising, also a confounding movie. There's this sense of what's going to happen next. Yeah. Uh, there's weird just – like Valhalla Rising also is very largely premised on Mads Mikkelsen is awesome. Like <laughs> if, you, if you believe that, <laughs> then Refn has made this movie for you even though it's super weird and strange things happen. Um, where uh, Where – so I'm watching this movie, and I'm keenly aware that what Refn is doing – like obviously this is not uh, like Devil War Prada or Prada Porte. This is not a, a realistic presentation of the fashion industry. It's this stylized, weird uh, horror image of L.A. as inhabited by people with, with immaculate cheekbones and this ruthless vacuousness. I don't know if I'm using that word right. Uh, it creates this sort of mythical image of L.A. And when they kill Elle Fanning, and then the movie continues on, this is the sort of thing you don't generally do in a movie. Like the murder – like it's as if you were telling a story and you said in the story, and then they ate her, and that was it. Uh, that was kind of like what the script would read. Like there's all these scenes happening, these scenes happening, and then it says, and then they ate her. And that's just the most random, horrifying, weird, 
abrupt fable like it's like a fairy tale it's like a Grimm's fairy tale twist that anything after that scene with Jenna Malone just bathed in gore sitting in the tub anything that would have happened after that I I was just in love with what this movie did um so that, See, that's the, mm-hmm. yeah go ahead the, the person I saw with like she turned on the movie and it was I heard I think her take was like it's too spelled out like yeah I get it and just keeps going and so did you feel like maybe it was just too spot on? Uh, I don't because of that whole thing about I'm not sure where it's going to go. Like I didn't know they were going to eat her. I didn't know that uh, that Elle Fanning was going to basically erupt out from under, under one of the girls like <laughs> the eyeball scene would happen. Uh, I didn't know that it was going to distinguish between Abby Lee and Bella Heathcote's character. As, I, had, I, I was trying to develop a theory that that Jesse was the neon demon and that they were all victims. And so it's a horror movie about L.A. being out L.A.ed by a newcomer. But I guess since none of the males were her victims, maybe that's not. I actually don't think it's about L.A. I mean, I think L.A. is just a backdrop. It, it's not like I said, like uh, it's not a I don't know where Prada Porte takes place. Probably New York. I've never even seen it, but it's not really a movie literally about the fashion industry. I think it's a movie about what I would call the grotesque currency of beauty. The idea that we look at beauty as a commodity, it's something that you're hungry for. It's something that people try to consume. Uh, it has a ravening quality to people who, for people who witness it, I think. Uh, and I think he's making a fable about that. I don't think it's necessarily about L.A., and I don't think it's about the fashion industry per se. Uh, those yeah. are just kind of settings, I feel. Yeah. Um, so, no, I didn't think it was obvious. I didn't think uh, – because I, I – you know, we on the the quarter three message board. Someone whose opinion I, I very much appreciate. He didn't like it, and he just said he thought it was an. Uh, I think he said a heavy-handed fable about narcissism. But I don't even think it's about narcissism. Um, I think it's more ultimately about the girls that witness Elle Fanning's character and their their hunger for her and their resentment towards her. Uh, but is it about women though? Like they're like men have made them these creatures that devour each other. I don't get that sense that it's playing much with gender identity or women's issues. I mean, I really, you know, there are male characters who are kind of uh, like one of them is, of course, that that fashion guy. Like one of them, they're they're brutal men in here, I I think. But I I think the implication is that the women would be brutal and would eat each other without them. Yeah, yeah. Is that it's just it's just part of the of nature, the human nature of the people in this fable, of the place in this fable, the the story he wants to tell. About the grotesque currency of beauty uh, and what it means to trade in beauty, to witness beauty, to chase it, to try to create, to try to follow some platonic ideal that you're either born with or aren't born with, that comes naturally or doesn't come naturally. This idea that you either have it or you don't have it. Um, yeah. And I love the fact that our, you know, our little Red Riding Hood, our innocent character, turns out to be evil and cunning. Um, and he cast her for her vulnerability and not like because she's so beautiful. Like well, that was. Yeah, like that was one of the things I really liked too is that early on as I'm watching it, I'm thinking – because I, I love – so you guys still haven't seen Night Moves and you're both fired for that. Uh, Dakota Fanning is so amazing in a movie called Night Moves, and Al Fanning could never do what Dakota Fanning does in Night Moves, partly because it's set in this sort of grunge uh, Pacific Northwest of, of Oregon – uh, and Dakota Fanning just blends in so well with that. But Elle Fanning doesn't have that level of – I don't want to say depth. There's just a very different quality to her. And I, I think that Refn taps into this 
sense that she – there's this kind of naive cunning to her performance uh, that, mm-hmm. that requires not having depth. You know, When she says, I can't write, I can't sing, I can't dance, but I know I'm pretty, uh, you know, th- there's this kind of self-awareness about her limitations there. You know, Dakota Fan couldn't, couldn't have played this role. And what? Say again? She's a little bitter about it. She's not enjoying it. Uh, enjoying- I, well, perhaps, perhaps. I mean, I think the, the bitterness is definitely overshadowed by what the other girls feel towards her. Uh, she's just reacting. But she's lording it over them. I mean, I yeah. think the idea is she's, she's saying when she is playing innocent and she's saying to the other girls things like, well, I thought you did fine. We find out she is just telling them things. She's being a savage. She's twisting the knife. Exactly. And and it, it's like I say, it's like this naive innocence. It's this cunning innocence right. quality to what her. She goes, is that a compliment? Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. That's, she's fighting back. And I, I think that's kind of a reveal. Like you wonder, okay, what's the deal with this character? And when you do find out, yeah, she's ruthless and she's as ruthless as cunning as these other women. And these other women eat her for it. Like again, I just can't get over that twist. Um, and so, the, what about the, the fact that there's a uh, there's a non sympathetic lesbian character? You say non sympathetic, but so I, Jenna Malone has just been around for so long. Uh, Jenna Malone is so good at playing kind of the beta dog. Like she's either someone slightly plain girlfriend or a steadfast sister. Um, yeah. Uh, she had a great scene because I rewatched uh, Inherent Vice recently for uh, – what was the podcast we did? Where... Nice Guys. Yeah, yeah, Nice Guys, exactly. She's got a hilarious scene with Joaquin Phoenix in Inherent Vice, but even in there, she's kind of playing the steadfast girlfriend. Uh, Jenna Malone just blew me away in this. I loved her performance in this, uh, and especially because of how her character evolves, what you find out about her, uh, that she is ultimately – she's kind of the wolf here because – she doesn't possess this beauty, and she knows she doesn't possess this beauty, uh, you know. And she craves it as much as anyone else. There's this idea that she is on the periphery of this grotesque commerce that I'm talking about. Like she is doing the makeup, but not being beautiful enough herself to be part of this. Uh, there's, I just was fascinated at her character, and that Refn cast her, this actress, who normally plays the plain girlfriend. I love that he let her do this part, and that it gives her literally so much to chew on uh i love what she did <laughs> i mean she recruits jesse so she's yeah she recruits her and system. i think kind of feeds her to the other girls in a way yeah yeah dingus is growing horns uh dingus so a lot of it didn't work for you uh, were there parts dingus have you seen fear x when a reference movies uh it was he did it after the pusher movies do you know with john turturro no, I haven't seen Fairy. Because this is almost very, this is almost uh, not an update, but as far as the tone, the feel, even some of the tricks uh, in this movie, the visual tricks in this movie are directly out of, not out of, but Fear X. If you watch Fear X, you will definitely think, oh, right, this is the guy who in 15 years is going to make Neon Demon. Uh, <laughs> and so, I don't, yeah, so it, I think if you've seen Fear X and it didn't work for you, this wouldn't work for you. I, I like Fear X a lot. Um, similarly, very stylish, uh, not quite as over the top stylish as this, uh, but very similar. So Dingus, uh, it didn't work for you, but as, as a, a guy who likes drive, who liked Valhalla rising, uh, were there parts of this that you did enjoy or that did work for you or that you admired or respected or didn't hate? Um, there's stuff I, I thought was okay. Um, 
I mean, I liked some. I liked. I I loved Christina Hendricks. Um, I, I I don't know if she's going to become part of his like uh, stable stable of people that do things, but I loved that scene. Although I don't like that she looks more wan than she usually looks. Um, but I understand why she looks that way for this, and I and I loved the way that scene played out altogether. I thought she was one of the best things about the movie, and I agree with you that I think Jenna Malone was great because uh, I I I love that girl. Uh, I think she's wonderful in it. Um, what I, what I don't appreciate is the fact of being real quick. Thing is hold that hold that thought. So what you don't appreciate because what I loved about the Christina Hendricks bit is that whole is that she's the woman delivering this idea. Uh, people are going to tell you you're fat, but I don't think you're fat because Christina Hendricks. One of the beautiful things about her is. She, she's not like this anorexic actress. Like Christina Hendricks, if you look at her, what's the movie where uh, Richard Jenkins seduces her? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The, the, the boss. Oh, God's Pocket, isn't it? God's Pocket. Mm. Well, at any rate, uh, she's a, she's a very curvy actress, and I love the fact that he had her talk about this idea that you know people are going to call you your fat. And she's saying it to this beautiful, well-proportioned woman. Christina Hendricks is a beautiful, I feel, well-proportioned woman. I love the fact that she is doing that scene. Uh, right. So, all right. So, but, what, but she's yeah, saying that in a passive-aggressive well. way. She's not saying you're not fat. She's saying you're very fit. I would never say you're fat. Right. I would never say that. I mean, she's doing what she has to do as an agent to sign this girl, but she's also hedging her bets for the future when she has to. Tell this girl you need to barf more. Right, but my point uh, is that I love that it's Christina Hendricks who has probably heard that herself, who is no doubt probably heard that. Right, herself, but she's delivering lost, that line. I think she's lost a lot of weight since we saw her in Drive or Mad Men. I mean, she looks a lot different now, um, and she's sexy enough either way. Um, but so that was a little weird. But I, I mean, I did like I did like her in this a lot. Uh, I, I like the I like the initial. Reflection moment where you know, even though that bathroom scene where the three, where the four of them are in the bathroom, which feels very much like this is a scene from a play, and nobody else, even though we're in a club or a party, nobody else is going to come into this bathroom for the entire scene we're doing. Which again is part of why it's a fable, I think, because there's there 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 are maybe uh, eight characters in this movie. You know, he paints L.A. using eight characters. I don't think there maybe the other models, but there are like no outdoor scenes with a bunch of extras or yeah, the party. There's no one that yeah, this is an LA populated entirely by people with immaculate cheekbones. I kind of feel like I feel that's a they don't notice other people. Right. But I'm sorry, we're jumping on your point, Nigga. So you're saying that that bathroom scene felt stagey to you? Uh, go ahead. We were cutting you off. Sorry. It's okay. Um, anyway, the one thing I liked about that scene was how um, how she how Jesse took. There was this moment where she looked into her reflection and she took energy from her reflection. You saw her expression changed. Mm-hmm. As after that scene where she was just like pummeled um, in in these little kind of tiny little cuts, a thousand little cuts that they were making, thousand little jabs. She looked in the scene. It, she looked in the mirror. She saw herself, and you saw her take energy from it. And that's a wonderful acting moment. And then, as with so many other things in this movie, and that's why I you, you'll hear me when you when you listen to this, kind of cough out an accidental laugh about oh. Uh, I'm sorry about Jenna Malone being the Wolfpack leader. Um, is, is that Nicholas Boyd Riffin is constantly just beating us over the head with his points? Yeah, I get it. That the uh, by the way, I was not surprised. Uh, you know, you, you that that moment where El Fanning gets killed 
and they're all going to eat her. And that's when you're like, let the movie do whatever it's want, whatever it wants. We've already had a vampire moment. We've already had the the woman grab her hand to try to suck the blood from her hand. We've seen that happen already. So I I feel like, oh, at that point, oh, are we going into a vampire movie? Oh, and then there's this predator on the bed in the motel, and then there's there's all these stuffed animals, these stuffed pre- animal, you know, uh, um, like feline. Yeah, the, the taxidermy of all the feline animals. So it's it's not it's not a surprise that she's the the wolf back later. It's I feel like not only with images, but and this starts at the very beginning. And this is why uh, this reminds me so much. And it was so surprising to me that that there's a dude um, in this movie that the dude who's taking the pictures in this movie. It shouldn't be surprising to me. Is is a guy who was in a Gaspar Noah movie because the beginning of this movie just reminds me of a Gaspar Noah yeah, movie. Yeah, sure, absolutely. It reminds me of something where I'm just being I'm just going to be hit over the head with images with with absolute saturated color yep. and with things that are supposedly metaphorical or symbolic, but I'm going to throw them at you so many times that they're going to cease to be meaningful symbols. It's just going to be this is the thing. And, you know, you're, I'm going to show you so many stuffed animals that you don't have to guess that Jenna Malone is that. And I'm going to actually throw a cat on, throw a wild cat or a cougar or whatever that, or a mountain lion onto a motel room bed just to sh- shove it in your face. Cougars and, and mountain lions are the same thing, by the way. Right, yeah. Just, so, and pumas. So, from from my point of view, that, that kind of thing, that kind of filmmaking just feels like I'm being hit over the head and bludgeoned. And, and that, and, and, to your point, Tom, I understand why that turning on of the engine moment was so meaningful to you. But for me, that predatory growl of the engine, I already knew it was – I mean, it wasn't – it's like, hey, you guys, I get it. Uh, it was so frustrating to me to watch this movie and feel like I'm not being allowed to get to the images myself. I'm just going to be smacked over the head with them over and over and over again. Ah, That's why this movie is so frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What about Keanu? <laughs> I, I love seeing that guy cast against type. Uh, yeah. Did, did, have you, playing, guys, have you guys seen Knock Knock, by the way? No. I, mean, I, I was would... going to say it's his gift character. Yeah, it's gift. not against type. It's just him running in and doing something. That's not against type. What are you talking about? Like the, the rapist hotel, sleazy hotel manager? Oh, oh, by the way, do you think it was him that did the 13-year-old girl or was it the girls? No, of course. No, no, it was him. So uh, that there's – so the, also in this L.A., there's a sense of fatalism in that she doesn't say – like Keanu Reeves is just going to work his way down the line, raping whatever door he can get open. So she doesn't stop anything by locking the door, by protecting herself. She just lets it move on to someone else, which I think also might be too heavy-handed for you, Dingus, but I think also is kind of a metaphor about uh, what, what happens to women in this situation with this grotesque currency of beauty. But no, it's clearly Keanu Reeves. Yeah, well, I think we're supposed to actually think that – Maybe it was the girls. No, I don't think so, because she calls Jenna Malone yeah, uh, to come get her. Because she calls Jenna Malone to come and get her. So we're supposed to think it was the girls raping, like killing the 13-year-old next door? Yeah. Why so would they do she that? She calls Jenna Malone to get into her house, so then Jenna Malone can take her. But Jenna Malone takes her to seduce her, not to eat her. <laughs> well, that's part of the process. I mean, that's the whole vampirism of this thing. Uh, that's not the impression I got. I got the idea right. that Keanu Reeves. I'm just Reeves telling would... you that there, there's a there's a direct correlation between those two events. But the guys are vampires too. 
Yeah, I mean, the, I think yeah, really what's going on is that they're... He can do whatever he wants, and he doesn't. He has, a, he has a special dude who breaks into rooms when he needs to. He doesn't have to do any of that. Well, we've established He's on the side of the other we've guy. Es- okay, we we've haven't established that Keanu Reeves is a, is a rapist. We might that's not what I was going to say. So. We've established that he can't get into the door, uh, that he doesn't have a key to the door. The key doesn't work is that he has to bust the door open so he can keep her – she can keep him out. I think that's part of what's going on when, the, when he has Mickey uh, kick down the door. Uh, so, but but I do think clearly the idea is that he's he's running this place where he brings underage women in uh, and he puts them up and pres- he rapes them. He brags about it. Yeah, yeah. He even he says, wouldn't say that if the girls were doing it. Right. No, he doesn't brag about raping her. He gr- brags about her being available. So he's more of a pimp than that. I mean, that's different. He's doing something different there. Well, I just don't sure. I mean, what whether or not he. What he's doing or isn't doing is certainly up to interpretation, but I don't get the sense at all that the girls were easy. He's in league with them. Yeah, or that they were doing anything to the girl next door. It, it seems to me what's going on here is that she does call Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone's like, oh, okay, this is my chance. I'm going to seduce her. I'm going to possess this this woman's beauty. Uh, and when she is rebuffed, Jenna Malone calls the other girls, and they all have this – You know, they've all been for varying reasons – uh, rebuffed or turned down or hurt by her, they're all sort so of turned on her. Yeah, I mean they're friends. There's this idea that, like you know, Dingus used the term wolf pack, but there's this idea that they definitely run together. Um, but even Keanu and Christina Hendricks and everyone, like it's all these are just point. These are just NPCs in her MMO. It's a very small universe, right? Yeah. Almost like a Lucas universe or something where uh, everybody fits together. Yeah. Uh, so my under is a movie that is very, very different in style and tone, but also reminds me of the theme. Uh, and these are bracketed in that I very much like all three of these movies. Uh, my under is another movie, I think, about the grotesque power of beauty and the, destruct- the potentially destructive power of beauty. Uh, and it doesn't have this fable-like idea, and the fate of the woman in it is very different from what happens to Elle Fanning. But it reminded me a little bit of Bob Fosse's Star 80, which was mm. about what happened to Dorothy Stratton. Uh, and uh, how old is that movie? It's got to be 80. Yeah, at least from around the 80s. Yeah. Uh, so my under is Star 80, which I feel is not quite as good as this. Paul Schrader. Oh, that is Paul Schrader. I didn't realize. Well, Bob Foster directed it, right? Right, right. Yeah. And Paul Schrader wrote it. I'm not the least bit surprised. You yeah. guys, you guys didn't see the Canyons, did you? That Lindsay Lohan thing that Paul Schrader did. No. Laurel, Laurel Canyon. No, it's called The Canyons. He did it with a, a porn actor named James Dean and Lindsay Lohan. Uh-huh. Uh, I forget who else is in it. It's so terrible. Uh, My last shirt was Exorcists. Well, it's it's you know it, you it, it's basically I think Paul Schrader, the same Paul Schrader that wrote Star Eighty, is trying to keep working with The Canyons. Like you can see with The Canyons, he's trying to do something similar, and it just doesn't work. Uh, mm. It's kind of sad. But anyway, so there's my under. Uh, my overall, I'll just go ahead and say this, just because I think this movie is so stylized, uh, because I uh, I would have to think a lot harder about continuity of theme or stuff, but because they're both so stylish and because they both worked so well with me, my over would be Under the Skin, uh, where Jonathan Glazer does a similar like weird, crazy fable about uh, identity and, and beauty, um, femininity uh, – the seductive power of beauty, like all of that, under the skin has a lot of that kind of stuff. So they're bracketed, but Star 80, uh, Neon Demon, under the skin for me. So Dingus, mm. this didn't work for you. Uh, did you try to bracket it with movies you didn't like? Did you just do one that's even worse, one that's better? How did you handle your over-under? 
Um, before I say that, uh, you, you just reminded me, I thought Chris Markinson, who is another of our listener, who is our listener, one of our two listeners who wrote in this weekend, had some, said something about that, I thought, but I'm wrong. He just was talking about music. Oh, uh, Cliff Martinez, by the way, who also did Drive for him. I, so, yeah. I'm sorry, I cut you, but yeah, I love the music. Is that what he was saying about the music? Is it well, like- he, he said that, um, it, he liked the innocent music that plays Times for Fanning. It reminded him of Skin from Ex Machina. When Ava starts to put her skin on, mm-hmm. he, he likes the chimes in that track. Yeah, uh, I, I did not care for the music in this at all. It, it was really distracting, and it constantly felt like John Carpenter stuff to me. Well, it's definitely like like you said, if you thought that some of the imagery was hitting you over the head, the music is part and parcel of that. The lighting, yeah. the imagery, the music, the edits. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, from the beginning, and this is one of the things why um, Only God Forgives bothered me so much, is that bathing everything in, in a total red light or bathing everything in, in total saturated blue and then showing red when certain it, it felt it feels like a student film to me and so uh, it, it i mean having loved so much of what Nicholas Revan does um it it makes me feel really frustrated when i feel like he's he i mean that whole first sequence uh even the credits where it's so saturated the color is so saturated and i get that that photo shoot at the beginning and what it means but but what it presages for me is the feel of looking at an an, an uh, issue of Vogue and how I'm not going to get any emotion out of that other than the perfume that's going to keep wafting out of the pages. I bet Nicholas Winding Refn would love that you that you made that comparison, Dingus. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, do you know who shot this, by the way? No, I don't. The DP? So uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, and I think he's just such a strong director. He uses different cinematographers a lot. He's not someone who always works with the same cinematographer, even though he's had some in common. I think the guy who did Valhalla Rising also did Only God Forgives. This is his first time working with a woman named Natasha Breyer. Natasha Breyer shot a little movie we saw, Dingus, called The Rover for David Michaud. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that, actually, Tom. I, I apologize. And it just goes to show, I think, how much of a strong directorial hand he has, because The Rover just had this just leached, yeah. sunlit, outdoor, wide-open, big-skied look. This is 180 degrees opposite of that. Yeah. Uh, so You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe she's just got a lot of range. Well, I, I think I mean like, like she's definitely worked. I mean, she's got a good list of, of credits. But I, you know, anybody who's uh, I, I just think to work with Nicholas Winding Refn, you're not like a Roger Deakins. You're not going to be asked to put your stamp on the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I wonder who's shot Drive because I'm thinking about as we go into the motel over and over and over again, the motel in Drive, and how different those two different those two motels look. You know how differently they're shot. Yeah, Natasha Breyer definitely didn't do Drive. I forgot yeah, which yeah. of his cinematographers did Drive. I can't remember either. And it's so like, weird too to think that this, you know, Nicholas Winding Refn's pusher movies are so almost they have this documentary style. Yeah, they're yeah. just like handheld, running around in uh, Copenhagen, like it's it's very naturalistic. There's none of this stylistic excess in his first few movies. No, they're they're grainy even. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I tried to pull some frames off of them for this frame game thing we do, and and you can it's hard to even tell. It's Mads in a couple of shots. I mean, they're so grainy. Yeah. Anyway, he's Danish, for- by the way. I was dumb. So. Well, I knew he was Danish. Yeah, I mean, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're different countries, Kelly. The whole discussion reminded me of something again from Parks and Rec. That what's well, wait, well, wait, where Danish? Well, what, where's Denmark? What? Um, but anyway, my under would be uh, Enter the Void. Sorry, Kelly. Um, uh, just. <laughs> 
because of the I'm going to hammer you over the head with uh, with one thing and uh, and not let you discover yourself. Wait, uh, that means you liked uh, <laughs> Neon Demon. Uh, so you I liked think... being hammered over the head with it more than Enter the Void's hammering. That's a good point. Yeah. No. Huh. Uh, no, I was really really frustrated with this movie. Uh, and I really tried to like it. It was really, it was frustrating not to like this movie. It, it felt, I don't know, it felt weirdly disappointing not to like it because I really wanted to like it. Because I like this director. I love Valhalla Rising so much. Uh, and I wanted to prove Tom wrong and I couldn't. Um, for my over, I, I couldn't bracket it. I'm so sorry about this. So I had to choose something that was more of a treatment of celebrity that I think, uh, makes more sense to me and um, I don't know that I connected more with because I could not connect with a thing in this movie it made me so frustrated so I'm just going to put somewhere over it um, not just because it's Elf Fanning but because uh, I think that, that that idea and I do think you know Tom you said that, it, that you don't think the movie is about either modeling or Hollywood not uh, that it's not, just, those are backdrops not in the sense that I mean, it, it would be absurd to say it's not about L.A., it's not about modeling. I just think that Nicholas Winding Refn has much bigger issues that he wants to address than a story about the fashion industry. Right. Which is why I'm contrasting it with, like, Preta Porte or Devil War Prada, I think. Right, right. And I, and I think you're right. It has more to say about, um, you know, what, is, what does he say at one point? Uh, I, I think it's Alessandro Nivola's character. Oh, that's who that was. Dadgummit. I meant to look that up. I knew I recognized that guy. The mustache threw me. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody, but it's that happens to Tom they constantly looks like they want to devour her, or they, or that, or that. Uh, there's this, there's this wonderful, and I do like this thing about the movie that that there's this thing about that she is either something to be consumed or something to be painted upon, um, and 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 this is something Chris Markinson said as well that that, that the length of her neck when. Um, when Jack is is painting the gold on her, it's it's like it's been elongated somewhat. Uh, it's it's this weird it's weird visual. I mean, the the makeup in this movie has this, this wonderful intimacy, and Jenna Malone totally gets that. She totally understands the intimacy of putting makeup on somebody's face, which is a very intimate act. Uh, and and I I know that Tom, having been an actor, you know this. You know, sitting there in the chair and having somebody stand over your face and work on it for an hour or whatever is intimate. I mean, that's, that's a, that's, that's something that happens between two people. Uh, even if it's not sexual in any way, it's still, you know, having somebody touch your face that much. Uh, and people's faces don't take an hour, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, Dingus, you, you got a lot of preening because I never spent an hour in a makeup chair. <laughs> well, I did, they had like, is that a compliment? <laughs> well, I, I had to spend five or six hours a couple of times because I had wolf, uh, this wolf prosthetic makeup put on my face. And having a makeup artist stand over your face and do that, and you're just sitting there while somebody is working on your face, uh, whether it be for ten minutes or an hour or four hours. Wait, I mean, what are you a wolf at? I'm not a wolf in anything. I was just helping a friend of mine who's a makeup artist. Um, and he was like working on a prosthetic for my face because he was trying to, you know, expand his craft and, uh, and I was helping him out. So, uh, so, but that thing that, but Jenna Malone gets that. And that's why those, those moments in the coroner's office or not the coroner, but the, in the mortuary. Oh my God. That, by the way, I forgot. Like the reveal that she was a, a mortician I loved and that necrophilia scene. 
I mean, that's Jenna Malone was just fearless in this. God, she was yeah. so good. And I forgot, yeah, that necrophilia scene, so freaking weird. Oh my oh, god! You thought the girl was dead? What are you talking what? about? I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> well, she did. Yeah, the, the stitches. She, she she could survive anything with those good stitches like that. That'll that'll patch you right up. Uh, God, just I, yeah, just. Hey, again, that was too. You know, maybe that was where the movie won me over. Where I was like, okay, Nicholas Winding Refn, whatever you do, the fact that you've done this weird, creepy, grotesque thing here, I'm sold. I'm down with wherever you go. I haven't seen that before in a movie. There are weird movies about <laughs> necrophilia. There's one called Dead Girl. You guys, yeah, seen but that? not lesbians. Oh, I see. What's the one where Dead Gummit, the 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 corpse of Anna Fritz? There's a Spanish movie. Uh, I think it's called The Corpse of Anna Fritz, which you should you should see Kelly Wand, which has a similar. Oh my freaking god! Like moment that is just incredibly like I cannot believe this is happening. Um, just weird. Just, I can't believe someone thought of this and put it on in a movie. Uh, uh, and it's not. It makes a good lubricant, by the way. Ugh, Kelly Wand. We have a we have a listener named Chris Webb who wanted to give you a couple of um, taglines, Kelly, and one of his was "care for a little necrophilia." <laughs> So he, what he said, he, what he later said was, I mean, overall, overall, Chris Webb gives the movie a thumbs up, but he says, uh, I, you know, uh, I mean, I didn't go into it expecting necrophilia, eyeball consumption, etc., but everything seemed to fit the tone. <laughs> Cosmetic crophilia. Uh, shut up, Kelly. But anyway, uh, I think what I was getting at before was that. I think it, it, what I was watching as I, as I was watching it and what I was saying uh, just a minute ago, Tom, about how you say what I was characterizing, you was saying it's not about Hollywood. Either. Oh, right, right. Sorry. It's, yep, back, yep. it's a backdrop is that for me, it, it, it almost was akin to my interpret, my weird interpretation of Hail Caesar about, and it, this is a weird take, but the Coen's like, we're making a movie about what it's like to make movies in Hollywood. It almost felt like Nicholas Winding Refn was going, um, this is a movie what it's like to be in, a, in, in this culture in America, specifically. Um, I don't it, think it's American, though, necessarily. Like, I think European fashion, like, the, a lot of this stuff, like, fashion a lot of it comes from Europe. Like this is, this is as continental as it is American. I would yeah, say, yeah. I uh, guess you're right about that, but, but it felt specifically, um, it, it felt more based in Hollywood and LA. It felt more American than, sure, sure. At, than something that, uh, and, and you brought up Pret-a-Porter a couple of times, which, which in my brain seems more French. Uh, and this, this seems more of a comment on, uh, the way Americans deal with beauty is it, it, specific, specifically about how constructing beauty is different than achieving or having beauty. So, so there's that moment in the restaurant where, um, where Alessandro Namala's character says, uh, you can always tell when, when beauty is natural. It, it's not really what he says, but, or when beauty has been constructed. And then he makes, um, the boyfriend, the guy from the, um, Carl, Carl Glusman is his name, and I'm so glad to see him this in this because I would have thought after Love the guy would never get work again. Love, he's love. really he's really good in Love, which is the oh. thing. I mean, you're staring at his dong having sex like for 45 minutes, but when he's not, other than that, like the guy's a good actor in Love. He's and that's what's a shame, not a shame. I mean, that's kind of what makes me pissed off at Gaspar Noe. Like Love is an interesting experiment that ultimately is a 
oddly repulsive. But Carl Glusman is really good in love, which is – I was just so disappointed watching that movie thinking, oh, nobody's going to hire this guy because he's basically doing hardcore porn. So I was right. so glad to see him in this. He's so earnest in this. In that yeah, first yeah. scene with taking the pictures and looking at him, I'm like, is this guy going to be – but 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 it's again part of the predatory nature of of the things that this movie is going for, uh, and then it turns out that he's not the predator, um, which I think is a kind of a fascinating back off in a way. And I really liked this guy. That yeah, Dingus, I hate to say this, but even because this is not for you either, but you should probably see Love, like just just because of how it would make you feel. And Gaspar Noah, that's what he wants to do, but also because th- this uh, Carl Glusman kid is so good in it. Like I really liked him in that. Uh, right. Right, and I think he's really well cast here. Yeah. Um, and why I, you know, kind of messed around with his name a little bit earlier because I, I feel like like he's that he's that nice guy, but he's really good. But ultimately, he's just gonna lose because he's not he's not enough of a predator. And that's I think a lot of what this movie is about. Did you guys recognize uh, Abby Lee or Bella Heathcote, the two blondes? No, no. Where are they from? So Bella Heathcote, you guys haven't seen Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, have you? Uh, I haven't, no. Yeah, yeah it, it's not really any good. But she's one of the uh, – Bella Heathcote, the one who's been constructed, uh, she's one of the sisters in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, whatever. Abby Lee, more importantly, the one who doesn't fall apart, who eats the eyeball, who at times you can only tell her because she's got like a dimple in her chin. Like they just they, look so – They both eat the eyeball, but she double eats it. Oh, good point. Right, right. She's, <laughs> she eats it. To, yeah. Uh, Abby Lee was one of Immortan Joe's escaped women in Fury Road. Not the oh. Uh, but she was in, in Fury Road. Uh, she wasn't the pregnant one, was she? No, no, the non-pregnant one. Uh, the non- she kicks her chastity belt. Uh, she's the one who sort of cutely kicks the chastity belt when they're running away. From, uh, <laughs> oh, well, that's a great – I wish I would have known that. All right, that's great. Because I, I thought both of those girls were, were amazing too. Like, I really liked both of their performances. Um, just, I, I loved that scene in the in the diner where they all where they, where they all decide to order coffee, and then she says, "I'll have the fruit cup." <laughs> really splurging. Uh, yeah. What do you what do you real quick? What do you guys think of the line? Beauty isn't everything; it's the only thing. It, it sounds like a, a Yogi Berra line or something. Winning is everything. <laughs> Not Yogi Berra; it's some other coach. Uh, What's the difference? That's what I was wondering, Kelly Watt, is when, when that line came up, I was like, ooh, good line, Nicholas Winding. And then afterwards I was thinking, isn't that just uh, – Isn't everything one thing? Yeah, isn't it, didn't he just say it? Didn't, isn't it a syllogism that uh, – but it's I don't like think saying, so. It's like saying it's not just the universe. It's a universe. Well, I don't think it – I think you could break it down. So that's what I was wondering, Kelly Watt. Is it, is it like David Mamet saying everybody wants it? That's why it's called money, which you hear that and you're like, yeah, yeah. cool. But then you think about it and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, but no, that's what makes that a good line. It, it, no, it's not a good line because he's just cribbing. It, but but he's making a character crib from something that a coach said about winning football games. I don't. I mean, I uh, maybe. it's winning I mean, is in, winning is in everything is the only thing is right. Is, oh, that's from sports. I didn't. Okay, I thought. Yeah. Oh, in that case, I'm disappointed. <laughs> well, okay. then again, then it is stupid. It doesn't mean anything. It, it's not stupid because the character is saying it because he's taking it from something else. Well, no, just as a, as a constructed concept, like as as a as a concept, like it makes no sense. The thing but is, that, but that's what Alexander Nivola's character is right, saying, right, 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 right. And he's he's just done lines from Henry V, actually. <laughs> good point, Dingus. That just makes him all the more trite, doesn't it? Fair right. enough. Yeah, good point. Uh, I like that. Uh, in that case, it would go in the good writing column. <laughs> uh, 
Kelly Wand, your uh, unders and overs for uh, Neon Demon are? My overs, Mulholland Drive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wait, which one under... is that? Is that the Lynch one? Yeah, yeah that's also Tammy Watts. Yeah, very much about L.A. And she had to, she had to play like two kind of different characters in it. There's so. lesbian sex in it. If I'm yeah. Not... Yep. Lesbian masturbation. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Well, and I guess it has to. Yeah, it does. Why does that not make sense? <laughs> well, lesbian, you're lesbian, a no, mas- lesbian masturbation isn't everything. It's the only thing. Exactly. I totally agree with that. Um, but your your joke about this being a slower David Lynch, that's why I resonate so much with this, because I, I kept thinking, I feel like I'm in a season of Twin Peaks, but it's going to take all day to watch this one movie. I do, Dingus. Do you, does David Lynch work for you? Because I, I don't. For whatever reason, I don't like a lot of David Lynch, but I like this, which is. I like some of them. I like some I, of them too. Like Lost I like Highway. Eraserhead. Yeah, Lost Highway. Lost I like. Highway. That's the last one I like. Yeah. So, Dingus, where do you fall on David Lynch? I don't care for his movies. I mean, I I, I have a grudging like for Dune because I have a friend who bought me the movie <laughs> and, oh. and we've watched it a couple uh, times, and so there's it's it's sort of a okay. all right, I, all right, I like you. Um, what about Street Story? I love Twin Peaks. I love Twin Peaks. Okay. All right. All of it? So season two? The Firewalk with Me movie? I did not see mm-hmm. that. I know. The Firewalk with Me movie doesn't work. But I love That's the witches. The, the whole show. thing is structured and it's totally self indulgent. Um, and I, and I kept trying to avoid saying that this thing was self-indulgent because I don't think that that's the problem with it. I don't disagree with that, by the way. I mean, I, like I said, he does drive, which is a commercially successful thing. And then he's like, okay, now I'm going to do something crazy and arty that's just for me. I think it's entirely self-indulgent. I don't, I wouldn't dispute that. But, but I recall like several moments during the Twin Peaks thing that remind me directly of this, that, you know, like the, the, the like the, the, uh, I would say dwarf, you know, his arms bend back and he's speaking backwards and the whole scene bathed in red. And Nicholas Winding Refn does not mind just saturating colors, which you can use to good effect, but you can also overuse and I think he does. So, um, but as far as, just to answer your question, Tom, it, Twin Peaks, yes, I think for the movies now. All right, so Kelly Wan, your over is Mulholland Drive. What, what do you got for an under? What's a movie that's not quite – because you're really good at bracketing, Kelly Wan. What's a movie that's not quite as good as Neon Demon? Well, bracketing's not everything. It's the only thing. <laughs> but, uh, I'm really disappointed that's from sports. I, oh, gosh. Because I was, I, I was literally th- I was thinking, okay, does the line work? What if you interpret it? What if you apply it to other things? Like what if there's a subset of something? That's I think it's about things. Well, I was, I was, yeah, like I was parsing this seriously as if it was something that Nicholas Winding Refn had come up with, and it's a sports thing. That's cute. I, just, I feel so cheated. I know. All right, Kelly, on something that's not quite as good as Neon Demon, very carefully yeah, bracketed. To... Okay. Yeah. Uh, my under is uh, Looker. <laughs> I don't hate this. What is that? It's uh, Michael, Michael Crichton. Crichton yeah. Movie yeah. About models, and uh, Albert Finney's a cop in it. Right? Yeah, Dingus, do you not know Looker? Looker freaked me out for a couple of reasons. Is that movie? No, I do not know Looker. So in Looker, uh, and I don't remember a lot of it, but in Looker, there's a uh, you can put on these glasses that Mm -hmm. will track what you're looking at. 
And so they put him on Albert Finney, and they're like, here, look at this. And there's a, there's a picture of like a model, a swimsuit model. Yeah. And, and he's like just looking at it. And then they take the glass off, and they show him on a little computer display. Here are the parts of the picture you were looking at. And they're all around like the model's ass and her breasts and stuff. And I remember yeah. thinking, oh, my God, I don't want anyone to ever put those glasses on me and see yeah. like where I'm looking. <laughs> That's like God looking at you. Or it's a lie detector. Yeah, yeah. And it's also the movie Penis where there's a, there's a car chase where they have a weapon that if you shoot it in someone's eyes, it uh, it like renders you comatose or something. So the bad guy is chasing Albert Brooks in a car, and he's trying to shine this light, shoot this like light gun in Albert Brooks' eyes. I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but so Albert Brooks is in a car and he's trying to get away. The bad guy's behind him. The bad guy's like, you know, it's a car chase. They're both going super fast. The bad guy pulls up in front of, uh, pulls up beside Albert Brooks' car and is trying to shoot the light gun in his eyes. Albert Brooks is like looking away and they're banging into cars. The bad guy pulls in front of Albert Brooks's Albert Brooks, uh, uh, um, Albert Finney pulls in front of Albert Finney's car and then he turns around so that he can shoot the gun at Albert Finney through his windshield and Albert Finney. Uh, he just turns the car down a side street and gets away because the guy chasing him <laughs> is in front of him. And I remember thinking that's a that's a pretty terrible way to do a car chase is just have the uh, the chasee just turn down a street because the chaser drove in front. Wait, I like it. No. That's an awesome resolution. Yeah, I guess so. That's, yeah, no. we'd have you a never whole different. That? We'd have an ending to Prometheus that actually made sense. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Lateral movement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sideways. All right. Uh, speaking That's of sideways, it takes two to make a car chase. Because it's like you, so when you, if you just stop the, stop the car, right? Then <laughs> chase is over. <laughs> Kelly Wan, you've just ruined innumerable just movie scenes. Oh, sorry. I mean, drive faster. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan, what's a movie that's not quite as good as uh, so? Uh, wait, what was your over? Your over was Mulholland Drive. What's a movie that's not quite as good as Neon Demon? Well, Looker. Oh, right, right, right. So Looker, <laughs> right, is your under. Yeah, yeah but yeah, what's a movie that's not quite minutes. as good as... Uh, it's got knobs in it, but they're only Susan Days. One, two, three, not only you and me, got a lady up in between Kelly Wan, that was that was terribly offensive, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, by the way, is this good writing or bad writing? This is something I think Chris Markinson wants you to know. Okay. Uh, I don't want to be them. They want to be me. You know what? The writing was good, but I feel like Elle Fanning fudged the delivery. I, she yeah, like hit I totally the she, she, Yeah, she hit the wrong syllable. And uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, maybe it's because he's Danish. Like he should have gone back and reshot it and said, "No, Elle, just hit this." Syllable. I forgot which one it was, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Dingus. And, and I think Chris. it was. I don't want to be them. They want to be me. But she didn't hit them. Right. Exactly. That's how it should have been. She went something like, "I don't want to be them. They want to be me." <laughs> like it was some weird thing like that. Like, no, not, wrong word. Wrong word, L. But he shot the scene in Dutch. <laughs> For all we know, yeah, it, 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 Dutch, right. Dutch angle. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right, uh, Dingus, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? All right, this 3x3 uh, three three is uh, actually inspired by a couple of things. Um, one by uh, – this is this is your three favorite battlefields. Um, not not battles, not fights, but, but actual battlefield setting, battlefields. Um, this is inspired by uh, – you know, my son gave me uh, Force Awakens Blu-ray for Father's Day. We watched that, and he really loved one of the battlefields in that. 
I don't happen to because it looks totally staged and there's this weird, and I love that movie, but it looks like somebody has carved a path out for people to run through, uh, through all the, uh, the things that have fallen down. Um, uh, and then, you know, after we, uh, I don't know, at some point we also watched one of the later, one of the latest Game of Thrones shows where, uh, there's this huge battle, uh, battle of the, um, bastards. Thank you, Tom. Battle of the bastards, uh, where I, which I wasn't cr- very crazy about, but oh, wait, that's not it, a battlefield. That's a battle. Yeah, I, I know. Oh, okay. But I'm just thinking about the way the battle looks, uh, or the battlefield looks when there's a long pull away and the, the trap is set. Anyway, I'm just well, but, thinking about the way the battlefields look. Okay. Cause what, hmm. I might be confused. I might have done it wrong. All right. Well, let's start with That's, Kelly. It's okay. I I don't think I was that specific when going in. I was just excited about the idea of talking about battlefields because I have a couple that uh, really resonate in my head as battlefields um, that that I really love the way those battlefields look, the way that they are structured, and the reasons that they are structured in that particular way. So anyway, yeah, um, it's just battlefields. Well, you can do whatever you want. Okay. Uh, go ahead. You're concerned by Kelly Wand wanting to do. Best. No, no, no. I just have I have a clean record with the three by three cops, and I don't want to mess that up. You know, I've been keeping my nose clean ever since non fake physical gestures, and I just don't want to get back in trouble. <laughs> my nose is filthy. <laughs> well, filthy nose. Why don't you give us your third favorite battlefield from a movie? Filthy nose. <laughs> my number three <laughs> battlefield from a motion picture is. Oh, and so I bracketed them. <laughs> By, uh, you know, it had to be a battlefield where it was kind of different from other battlefields somehow. See? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you didn't just pick three identical battlefields then? No. Interesting approach. Okay. So that, okay. Yeah, so I left off World War II except for one of them. So that's part of my bracketing also. So only one World War II battlefield. Yeah, that's my theme. You've set up some very strict rules for yourself here, Kelly Wand. Yeah, and it's from three different movies. Each movie. I don't don't even know what documents to ask for you. (laughs) So that's my trick. That's why I never go to jail because I get confused them. That's my superpower. I'm the confuser. So my number three, but it works on me too. That's the thing. It's like kryptonite where it makes him strong but weak. I guess it doesn't make him strong. You know what kryptonite does? Have See, you seen? Have you, you've confused yourself. I'm Your superpower is in effect. Nice. Someone <laughs> shot the light gun at my rear view. <laughs> Wait. See? Never mind. My number three is uh, from the motion picture Gladiator, starring uh, Russell Crowe, where at the beginning there's catapults versus Germans, and so but there's like a forest in between them, so. Oh, I can fun. see that in my head. I can immediately see that in my yeah. head. Yeah. So I just thought like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, he just goes, unleash hell. And then. <laughs> you made him sound all petulant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that your Russell Crowe? He's wearing, unleash hell. <laughs> <laughs> he's still he's wearing like very a wolf pissed. skin. Now, this is not fat Russell Crowe, I should point out, by the way. It's not the, it's not the Russell Crowe that I really enjoy. It's handsome 
It's uh, uh, just post virtuosity, Russell Crowe. Yeah, that it's one. Russell Crowe is prime. Yeah. yeah. Quick and the Dead, Russell Crowe. Want no part of it. Give me fat Russell Crowe or no Russell Crowe. It's Doesn't Russell even... Crowe when, when he makes a movie called A Beautiful Mind. You're like, oh, and now he's smart too? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Doesn't he have a dog that runs around with him in, in that scene? Yeah. In the gladiator yeah, thing. Cause I, I kind of actually like that because I like how all the, this, this relates to him. But yeah, I like that. I like that choice. So Dingus, has Kelly Wan just picked a cool battle or has he picked a cool battlefield? Cause I'm not, I don't remember gladiator. Cause the field was trees. So the no man's land was specific and there's like long okay. shots of it and you get a sense of the space on like 300 mm-hmm. where there's no, re- the battlefield is actually really critical, but you never get a sense of like, cause if you looked at it for two seconds, you go, wait, there's no way that that would happen like that. What, the hot gates? Yeah, because it's like there's all that slow motion like going through the frame like one guy. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Zack Snyder just wanted someone to wade out into the open. for. Yeah, a do right, a bunch right. of parkour shit. But right. it's like <laughs> parkour. parkour the battle is <laughs> they're doing a porcupine. That's what it says in the script. Character does parkour shit. Parkour versus shields. Yeah. And they're like jumping around. That's so. not what parkour is. <laughs> Just right. because you jump doesn't make it parkour. Is Brad Pitt doing parkour in Troy? <laughs> Just saying. It's one of those movies where it's like uh, you, they're already in midair when the shot starts. So it's like, what they jump off of to get up like 20 feet in the air? Trampoline just off screen. Yeah. It's not what parkour is. Trampolines weren't invented yet. Of, of one of my favorite lines in Force Awakens, that's not how the Force works. That's what I was, I was riffing on that, Dingus, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so here's the deal. I think I might have screwed up then because I I hope you didn't take Jakku off the table because I love I don't I think you mentioned this last week. Oh, I no. love like shut up Kelly one. I love like the Adat that's fallen over and all the ruined star destroyers and stuff. I love that Jakku is a a, a battlefield for the Battle of Jakku, which is an actual thing. Um, and that's my third favorite battlefield. Oh um, my god! Wait, no, that's, shut that's up. That's not what I'm talking about. I think right, that's, that's what I, thought. I, I didn't yeah. think of it. As uh, as an erstwhile battlefield, I was thinking of the battlefield that had just happened when um, I, I don't remember where uh, where they get attacked. Oh, Maz's Tavern, you mean? Yeah, Maz- it's not a battle desert. Um, that that battlefield, because when you, when you're watching um, uh, when you're watching Finn run around, he's he looks like he's running around paths. That have been made for him and and oh, oh. And, and and carefully landscaped, uh, and with all these other things that have fallen around. But I love that idea. Go ahead. Yeah, because Jakku and I only know this. There's a there's a game that EA released right around the release of, of Force Awakens called uh, Star Wars Battlefront, which is part of a long series of Battlefront games. And this one's set in Star Wars. And one of the one of the levels that they eventually let you download is called the Battle of Jakku. And it's just they have Tatooine levels and Hoth levels and indoor levels. I should say Moon of Endor levels in the game, and they just yeah. <laughs> they just they just repurposed the Tatooine stuff for Jakku. But there's this idea that there was some big battle for Jakku, and I like that in Force Awakens that we're introduced to here's where something really dramatic and really big happened, and here's all the detritus of the good movies, not the crappy movies. Like there's no sign of any droid pieces or stuff there. Uh, and it, it's kind of J.J. Abrams creating this idea that out of the ashes of the original stuff, we're just going to reinvent a great Star Wars story. 
Uh, so I love that Jakku is a graveyard where there was a big battle and there's Adats and Star Destroyers and nary a sign of any silly Z1 starfighter thing that Anakin Skywalker flew around in. Uh, so there's my third favorite battlefield. Kelly Wan, you have a problem with that? <laughs> you're our weird – you're the Force Awakens hater. I don't know what your deal is. You're going to come around eventually. I'm, I'm sure of it. That's the worst thing to like about it. Well, I like many things about it. It's just one thing I like about it. It's but not it, the worst thing I like about it. That is that. You could like about it, uh, say the – well, never mind. We won't get into that. <laughs> Kel, or Dingus, what is your third favorite battlefield in a movie? It's the best thing to like about it. I, I love that you brought that up because I didn't think about that at all. And it reminds me of uh, actually where I – one of the places I grew up. Um, Jakku reminds you of some place you grew up? The way you describe it, yes, it does. It reminds me very much of some place I grew up. Uh, I went to uh, high school in a place called Yorktown, Virginia. Mm. And um, right there near where my high school was, there are all the battlefields. Uh, the battlefields are you, – you go and you visit them. That's part of the things that you visit. Uh, people who run cross-country run through that area. It's a beautiful place to drive through, a beautiful place to walk through, a beautiful place to run, a great place to go and watch fireworks. Um, but those are the battlefields. Those are the battlefields, uh, you know, for – I don't know what happened in this country at that particular time. I don't know what you're going to have to do with the founding of this country. I have no idea. Um but I just love that you mentioned that, and I'm imagining all of those those ships and the adat that you were t- talking about, like falling over. And then I'm suddenly thinking about the berms and all of those things that were in Yorktown and Williamsburg and Jamestown, all those areas that I went to high school and college at, and I didn't even think about that. Uh, and this this and the reason I'm talking about this right now is because. This really melds quite nicely with what Kelly was talking about with Gladiator, because my actual choice is, and I've gotten grief for this before, but I'm going to choose it again. You're going to have to suck it. It's um, the movie Gettysburg, which was released in movie theaters, so mm-hmm. you guys are going to have to deal with that. And this is the, it, you know, it, it is that major battle at the end, but specifically I'm talking about Little Round Top. And, and, it's it's that whole thing of running down through trees. It's not this open field. It's not a battlefield necessarily, but it's a battlefield. It's it's a, it's a it's a space where we are having to do battle. But there are trees everywhere. There are stumps everywhere. The soldiers who are running down the the we have to jump over uh, fallen stumps and bodies of of soldiers. And I love that the I love the way that that battlefield looks as a place where you have to do battle and that is where they are doing battle but it is in the midst of very thick trees at little round top um and you're constantly hearing that as as you get up to that point where they're talking about this and of course chamberlain's men have been supposedly moved back to uh you you know you guys did a great job we're going to move you into the center where you're not going to have to do anything we're taking care of you you can just go back there do you need anything um, and this turns out that Pickett's charge moment turns to be such a huge pivotal part of the movie. And one of the things I love, absolutely love, uh, about this movie, uh, even though it's, it's totally cheesy, feels like a TV movie, it's really, I mean, it's hard to watch it again and again. But Jeff Daniels, watching him as Chamberlain, rescues that movie for me and that particular battlefield of that forest. And that's what 
you know, one of the things that I feel good about Kelly's gladiator thing is that is that this battlefield in a forest. Um, anyway, Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. Kelly Wander, you caught up on that, that Preacher TV show? No. Oh, there's, a, comics, but there's, there's a reference to there's a cool reference to Pickett's charge in, in the last episode. But really, yeah. all I right. read the Killer Angels though. That's the book version. Michael Shira, Sheeran, O'Hara, yeah. O'Shira, Shara, Shara. I was close. It's pretty good. <laughs> Did you read it? Did I ever make you read that? I thought I was trying to foist it on you for a bit. I own it, and you. It might be a copy you gave me that I never gave you back. You and so, I. You and I read it. Yeah. yeah. You and Dingus can talk about it. You'll have a great time. In the meantime, though, Kelly Wan, what's your second favorite battlefield in a movie? My number two is from the movie Kagamusha by Akira Kurosawa. What? You don't know any Kurosawa movies, please. Yeah, I saw that one in um, Kung Fu Hustle. <laughs> is that an anime movie? Are you talking about anime? No, it's got real. It's got real cartoon characters in it. Okay. God. And it's about samurai, and they're fighting a warlord, a daimyo. And the battlefield, there's like one really good sh- – because you never see the battlefields at the end of movies. See what I'm saying? So in Kagamusha, you see like dead horses and like – there's like one guy that's just a helmet. And then there's like an arm. And then there's like a bunch of spears in a cluster. Like you, have, you can reconstruct all the chaos of it. And it's like a beach too. I don't know what so to make like, of this, Kelly. Well, it's like an actual, like you made an actual pick and not like a prank pick. I'm a little confused. I take topics pretty seriously, Tom. This is my, this is a very serious podcast. This is my favorite part of it. And who, who on this podcast do you think has the most Kurosawa movies picked on a three by three? Me. Yeah, probably. No, Tom's picked high and low. <laughs> That's right. That's right, Kelly. Well, I did a, I did a more obscure. Actually, Kagamusha is kind of obscure. I've never seen it. You haven't uh, seen Kagamusha? Why no, would I see that? Yeah. The description of it makes me think of that weird sequence in Sucker Punch where there's samurai. Oh, my God. Get a load of him, Kelly Wand. See? <sighs> there's a lot of arrows in it. It's one, It's kind of a – I don't want to spoil my number one, but it's kind of like my number one version. <laughs> well, I can't – I mean, that, what was his Lear thing? Oh, Ron. Like, isn't Ron yeah. sort of the best uh, Kurosawa battle stuff? Is that your number one? If I, uh, okay. I don't like Ron. Is Kagamusha black and white? I had trouble getting into the characters. No, it's color, but it's like the 80s, so it's just like – it's got that kind of Scorsese 80s feel. Right. Well, well, Ron is color as well. Ron is gorgeous color. Yeah, but Ron looks like Neon Demon. <laughs> Everything's super saturated and kabuki. Well, that's what it really looked like back then. No, Kagamush is all – fuck. It's a Peter Jackson-y kind of a grimy take on it. It's just dingy. Yeah, it looks like Star Wars. Like everything's all kind of grainy and used up. Weathered, right, right. Like, these were real spears. And Ron's more like, check out these bitchin' spears we had made for Ron. <laughs> is, that, is that your impression of Akira Kurosawa? Yeah, that's how he talked. Actually, I just played a sound file. Oh, very good, because it sounded, wow, well done, Kelly Wand. Yeah, I've come a long way. Kelly Wand, are you ready? So while you're talking about Kurosawa movies, let me tell you about an Anton Fuqua movie called King Arthur. Well, oh, this is a great one. They oh, I love that movie so much. Yeah, they fight I, I can't believe you're picking this. I don't even love the movie is the thing. Is I just remember Wait, are you I, doing an Audible? Did you change things? No, you of feel course. Like, why would I change? Because the other one was a past battlefield, and this one's like an awesome battle. Uh, no, because my number one is a current battle as well. Like I was trying to think of like post-battle fields, and there's some things. But no, I really like uh, the ice gimmick. It's the only thing I like about it. Ah, yeah. Uh, it's a 
Yeah, it's a great sequel. Yeah, we're Ray, not Ray Winstone. What's that guy's name? Ray Milland. No, what's that dude's name? Who's Ray, the one Ray who runs Winston. out on the ice? What? Not Ray Winstone. The one who runs out on the ice and, and chops it up to where the other dudes fall in the water. Oh, Daisy Five Ridley. Only. No, what's the guy? Ray. He's like so a big old like former MMA dude. I think. Whatever. Oh, he was in. Um, he was in that. Uh, what's the movie where uh, Denzel Washington is blind? Oh, uh, Flight. <laughs> he is blind to his own alcoholism in that one, Kelly Wands. That's why everyone's so impressed that he landed the plane so well. Book of Flight. So, King, so you guys really like King Arthur, huh? I, I love uh, I love that part so much. It makes I mean, me it, like the It's the No movie. the Eagle, but I really like I like it so much. I like the casting, too. I it, like it. It is a good casting. He's like a Celtic Daisy Ridley kind of girl. That's kind of fun, and Clive well, Owens. Kira Knightley is like a Daisy Ridley kind of girl, no matter what. Like it's kind of yeah. Crazy. And Clive Owens a good King Arthur. He's kind of King. Angus, what's his name? Isn't it too from MI5? Isn't he in it? Oh God, I hope not. What is that guy's name? Uh, maybe he's not. So, he might be. He might be Angus, but that guy's the reason if he's in that, and I don't know, is because that guy is so bland that whenever he's in a TV show or a movie, it just to me looks like a hole. Like there's no, <laughs> there's nothing there. Like they wow. shot. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like yeah. the ring. Imagine it. Oh, I don't. I kind of doubt it. it. Uh, oh, wow! You're making me like this movie, Dingus. Mr. Fantastic. I'm, I'm almost certain Mads is in it. Like, is not Lance a lot, but somebody. Mads is. I think Mads is in it. All right. Well, okay. I'm coming around then. Anyway, so, go ahead. King Arthur is a movie I really like, and it has a really cool battlefield scene where they fight on ice. And Ray, whatever that guy's name is, he's like a big bulky fellow. Who played Kelly Wand? Who played the killer in Midnight Meat Train? That Clive Barker movie. Oh, uh, John Matusak. No. Your name is. I don't even know what you're saying. OJ Simpson. You're doing sports things. Eric, Mark Spitz. Uh, Mark Messier. Fine, I'm Googling Midnight. Troy Donahue? Vinnie Jones. What was I getting right? Oh, uh, right. Isn't Vinnie okay. Jones the guy who breaks the ice in King Arthur? Maybe not. I have no uh, idea. All right. At any rate, I like that battlefield. That's my number two pick. Uh so, Dingus, you picked the CG one. Interesting. That's a pretty cool choice, actually. I, I like the idea of, of Tom choosing this huge ice field as a battlefield. Well, it's a field cool, has grass it, on it. It's like a cool uh, conceit, isn't it? As you're fighting on this cracked ice, and yeah. Mine all have vegetation because they're fields, right? Um, you could Mr. desert planet over here. Oh, right. Yeah, I don't believe in vegetation in my battle scenes. I think it's it's bad news. It, interesting. It's not good for the plants. That's what they're fighting for. <laughs> That's why Tom hates the thin red line. Yeah. As they say in Chinatown, bad for glass. Um, wow. <laughs> I don't know about I didn't know this podcast was Asia, Asian racist, but okay. Dingus, what is your second favorite battlefield? In the- too soon, too soon. All right, here's a quote from it. Uh, we've been through worse. Star Wars. No, okay, you won't get it. Because they're it. talking about the prequels. Oh, uh, no, he's talking about the prequels as well, and the sequels. Um, so this is from uh, one of my... What would you say? Smokey the Bandit too. No. Um, so Thomas talked about sand. Uh, I'm talking about... Uh, I'm sorry, Thomas talked about ice. I'm talking about sand right now. And this is from Edge of Tomorrow. Um, and oh, I love... Right. I love this movie so much. Uh, I know that we contended about it somewhat, Tom, when we watched this movie. It's, it's Lesser Lyman. 
Because <laughs> you keep seeing the battlefield over and over. Because so you keep like seeing the battlefield. Every time. Right. And you yeah. see the battlefield. And, and, and the more times I watched it, I watched it again, uh, this week because I, I am just addicted to this movie. I think it is so well done. It has such a, and it's, it's amazing to me. Um, it shouldn't be that, <laughs> I don't know, there's a weird thing that I'm saying right now because of the theme of the movie to tell, to tell you all that it has a great rewatchability factor is a little weird. Uh, but for me, it does. No, I like it. Uh, but, um, but because of the, the nature of the movie that he's constantly waking up and doing the same thing over and over again, to say it as a rewatchability factor might be weird. But, uh, but man, it so holds up. And Tom Cruise is so good in it, and Emily Blunt is so great. But I love the battlefield itself. The way the battlefield is structured, the way that you see, uh, from overhead, um, how they're laying out the for- the forces, which you don't necessarily watch the first time when he's just like, uh, dropping out of the, the helicopters or whatever those things are. Uh, Tom had a V, V, what'd you call them, Tom? V tops? V tolls? Vertical takeoff and landing things? I think. Yeah, kind of like the, the V toll things that they have. Uh, and that whole scary thing about that. But when you see an over, view of the way that battlefield looks and the way that the fact of the sand looks and that the enemy is underneath the sand um, but it's also underneath dirt later on but it's just that specific the, the specific landing in France uh, that particular battlefield and how he basically has to learn that battlefield over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again and one of the things that doesn't hold up about the movie is that uh, as he's teaching her, uh, like every, you know, at this point you're going to turn left. At this point you're going to turn right. That, that that wouldn't necessarily change the way things are going to go. So it wouldn't necessarily happen that way every time. But nevertheless, I specifically like that part of the battlefield where his entire troop is in that little concave section and he runs around that concave section. But I like the way that that the whole battlefield is structured with all of the, the VTOLs and the other, you don't see them, the other land-based vehicles that are off to the side. Uh, I love that battlefield. Why are you calling this movie Edge of Tomorrow and not Live, Die, Repeat? Isn't it officially That's, Live, Die, Repeat? I don't even know what you're talking about. All right. Fuck you, Liv. Are, are you just quoting a poster? Why would you do that? I thought the official, like like the difference between Star Wars and Star Wars A New Hope or whatever, I thought you were supposed to call it Live, Die, Repeat. I could be wrong. Right, no, no, I think you're right, but it would be like calling, um, be, because it's listed this way in uh, in some of the DVD releases, to to call it Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ew. And the Frankenstein's <laughs> monster. What? It's not in there. It's a matter of Kelly wanted. But it helps with alphabetiz- alphabetization. Yeah. Didn't he fight Frankenstein at the Temple of Doom and the Rock Crusher? They cut that scene. Oh. Um. But it was the 30s. Kelly Wand, what is your favorite battle scene in a movie? Mm, well, you guys both ruined it. <laughs> what? Dingus, how dare you? I'm Dingus sorry. ruined it twice since the topic started. How many times did I ruin it? Zero, but you would have if you could. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Kelly. I apologize. No, mine's from The Thin Red Lion because I re- thought. Oh, which you referenced, so that ruined it. But you also ruined it with your number three because the reason I like the Thin Red Line 
battlefield is like it's hills like Gettysburg, but it's like they're always going up the hills. And so for the whole movie. And so huh. it's just like, well, your gladiator pick made me think about that. That's Tell you what, why do you think they're going up the hills? Cause there's bunkers up there and, yeah, the, if you build a bunker in the valley, it's not a good idea. Like that's the defensible position is on no, top I'm of the saying, hill. No, I'm just saying. I'm, you know, I know. I'm saying I like it cinematically because it's like when I think of that movie, it's like right. they're always in the fronds for the whole movie, and it somehow never gets static. Because the field is basically something you can't see, so. But it's still like you just keep. You're never at the top. That's my number one. Thank Wait, you very how, much. How are you never at the top? Well, once you get to the bunker, you are. Oh, okay. Then you're at the top, right? Then you're at the top. Yeah. But that's rare. It's uh, hard to do that. Are there any actors, Kelly Wan, that you forget were in Thin Red Line, or do you remember all of them? Like, if I remind you that, like, John Cusack has a big part in it. Yeah, I knew that. Okay. Nolte, Penn, Caviezel. Remember George Clooney, of course. He has his little... Jared Leto is in it? No way! Oh, you might be right. That's a good one. I admit, I didn't remember that one. Uh, Woody Harrelson blows his ass off. Yeah, blows yeah, his that's ass a, off. That's one you forget, too. Yeah. Sasha uh, Baron Cohen? No, Dingus. No. Oh. By the way, Dingus, another movie not for you? Uh, Brothers Grimsby. Just so you know. Dom DeLuise is in it, and Sammy Davis Jr., and Dean Martin. It was Dom DeLuise's last movie. Yeah, I'm glad we got that performance from him. Sinatra just shot his uh, thin red line scenes from his office. It's considered controversial. Speaking of shooting scenes from offices, I rewatched for this 3x3, and I'm I'm maintaining you guys are crazy. What is y'all's beef with the third Hobbit movie? It is great, and it's really weird watching... uh, It's really weird watching uh, Saruman, watching Christopher Lee... Like fight stuff and knowing, oh my god, they're just putting his face on someone else. I don't like. I've realized I don't like movies, and this isn't. This is like true of X Men too, where if people just raise their hands, that's their soup. That's their power move, and then CG comes out. <laughs> I'm sick of that shit. Well, that's just the wizard that. fight. The wizard fight is such a minimal part of of Battle of the Five Armies. All it is is CG. It's all CG. I know, shit. but it's awesome CG. What's the matter no. with you? Yeah, yeah, but in Two Towers, Gandalf fucking takes on a Balrog with a fucking sword and a staff, and he's like fucking fighting the shit. He hates. Do you not thing. remember how many of those like troll ogre giant things are in? Uh, there's only like there's only one giant in Game of Thrones. They can only afford one giant. There's like fifty freaking <laughs> giants. Because they're easy to kill. Battle of the Five Armies, and it, and it opens with a dragon fight, an awesome fight against a dragon, and then it's just two hours of like orcs and elves and dwarfs just beating the crap out of each other. I, but that movie's not... awesome. I, I was going to pick it, so I didn't. I love the battle. I don't think the battlefield itself. The battlefield itself is actually pretty cool with like. Erebor at one end and the city at the other end, and then there's the mountains. Like, it's not as it, I couldn't make it for this pick, but you guys are actually Dingus. You haven't even seen it, have you? No, I have not. Yeah, I. You guys, Kelly Wand, you're crazy. Like the third I saw, Hobbit. I hate the first two Hobbit movies, but I could watch that third Hobbit movie over and over. That's just great. It's great stuff. I want to go back and watch the second one again. No, no, don't. Do no. That. Yeah, you do not. That's why I haven't watched the third because the first two were such traumatic experiences. Yeah, but the third is nothing like the first two. It's just like Kelly Wand is saying. It's just three hours, two and a half hours, whatever, of Peter Jackson doing crazy CG action sequences, like all the crazy fights at the end on a tumbling tower and things are falling over and Evangeline Lilly is saving people and there's oh dwarves and that stuff is all, there's a fight on a sheet of ice where they're sliding around that's that, Kelly Wand you're crazy you know what that's my favorite oh, movie wait, of the year. Oh, did you just say that was your year? favorite movie of the year 
Nope. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Is it? So wait, say the full name. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. All wow, right. that's a lot of colons. I know. It's a lot. To take a lot leads up to this. Oh, here's another thing too. I'm convinced you don't have to watch the first two movies. You can just jump into Battle of the Five Armies. That's true. Because well, I don't know. You know. No, they explain everything. Okay, there's dwarves. They want their gold. There's elves. They feel like they should have a part of it. There's human refugees. They want to be in there. There's orcs who are total dicks about everything. They're fighting. Like you don't need to know. And then the wizards fight, and they talk about, oh, there's Sauron or something. You don't need to know about any of that. That's just stuff why like that. Why are the orcs fighting without Sauron? I don't know. They're just orcs. They fight. Like, wh- why would orcs not fight? It's just <sighs> what they do. Because there's gold in there. They want to get that gold. It's just, that's the thing. Is everybody's just after the gold in Erebor. That's One does cool. not simply jump into the Battle of the Five Armies. That's Ereboring. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kelly Wan, you win. Dingus, you come in second place. Thank Ereboromir. you. Speaking of winning, my favorite uh, battlefield in a movie is a movie that you jokers haven't seen, so I get to tell you about it. It's not a very good movie, by the way. It's a Michael Bay movie. Uh, in a thir- Don't laugh. Ah, no, I just like the, the weird this is serious uh, sound of apology in your, name, in your, in your tone. Dingus, it's a Michael you, Bay movie. Dingus, do you think there's anything funny about Benghazi? Hmm? You saw it? No, but I have that on my own email server, so you're not going to ever be able to tell. <laughs> uh, Kelly, why I'm taking your victory away and giving it to Dingus. All right. Politically uh, trenchant. Uh, Southfield so, changes always. Uh, Thirteen hours heroes of Benghazi is, is pretty bad. It's it's super, it's standard um, kind of jingoistic. And the thing is, they're not even soldiers, really. They're contractors, which I, I mean, have some mixed feelings about. Uh, and it just wants to create this heroic aura around them and it's fine for the most part like i'm okay with that it has to villainize the cia it has to create things that actually never happened in the event uh it avoids the whole political shibboleth that the republicans use benghazi as when they talk about it none of that is in there it's just so it's his pain and gain it's not pain and gain it's his black hawk down like it's him trying to do a black hawk down which isn't quite successful by the way Mm. uh because it's way more like it's so it, it it goes so overboard in romanticizing the the I don't even want to call them soldiers. I mean, they were former soldiers or con- contractors. I guess contractors are soldiers, but the deal is they're not military. Does it go over waterboard? <laughs> uh, that's I don't. Why <laughs> we didn't torture you, saying? Olivia? Um, uh, it does go overboard in that it does have we to. Did it at Marineland, and it's also called waterboarding there. Well, here's the deal: they're fighting at this CIA complex in Benghazi, right? Uh, the the U.S. Embassy had been overrun. Christopher Smith at that point – oh, is that his name? I forget. The ambassador had been killed. Uh, so these contractors have gone back to the CIA compound, and they basically have to defend it throughout the night. Um, and it's Michael Bay doing a Black Hawk Downey kind of thing where all of these unseen attackers for the most part – he doesn't really show us their perspective. He doesn't do the thing that Ridley Scott did in Black Hawk Down where we get a, a villainous bad guy in mirrored sunglasses – they're for the most part just shadowy figures, and it almost plays like a zombie movie nice. in that these people are uh, on the roof. These contractors are on the, the roof of the building of this compound, and they're, they've got night vision, and they're just trying to look around. And, and Michael Bay does a good job of creating a sense of place where on one side there's a street, and then on other sides there's an open field with some construction off in the distance, and the main battlefield – where uh, a lot of the Libyans were trying to uh, sneak up to the compound, they actually called it Zombieland. 
because it was a big wide open field with uh, – and in the movie, it's got like mist on it and it looks really eerie. But on the other side of it – and this is really eerie as well. There were these – there's a slaughterhouse for sheep. And there's just sheep running around, uh, and at one point they're even worried that the Libyans are using the movement of the sheep to sneak up on them. Uh, but Michael Bay, believe it or not, does a good action sequence with this defense of the CIA compound, specifically this stretch of, of field that they call Zombieland, and it plays almost like a zombie movie. Uh, and I love how it gives you a sense of place for that complex. Um, however, I don't recommend the movie. It's pretty bad for the most part. I didn't realize this. It's the script is by a guy named Chuck Hogan. Oh, this, oh yeah. Do you know who he is? I mean, I, why do you know who he is? He he, he, he did this the, this novel, uh, the stand, not the stand. The strain. It's terrible. And that's why I know who he is too. Yeah, no, this, but he he did something else about the um, the Ruby Ridge guys. He did he did, he did the Ruby Ridge novel, didn't he? I didn't know that. I, I wouldn't I be surprised. I mean. It's like called the standoff or something about the Ruby Ridge thing. I'm almost certain that was Chuck Hogan. Well, that makes sense if he's doing the screenplay for uh, Heroes, this Heroes of Benghazi movie. But I know him as doing this terrible vampire book, which someone tricked me into reading, which was made into a TV show. Guillermo del Toro has his name put on it uh, called The Strain. And that's Chuck. I tricked you into reading The Passage. Mm, I didn't finish it, though, so I feel okay about that. <laughs> There's two more. Uh, I'll get started on those right away and not finish those either. I think they're not as good. You can get Tom to read whatever you want. The men of Porlock will forgive everything. Dead Rising movies. Right. All right. Yeah, that's true. One for one for seventy nine with Tom. Dingus, what is your favorite battlefield in a movie? Before I get to that, um, what's the Zack Snyder zombie movie? Is it Day? Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. There is a remake of Day, but with Thing Rames, but it's not worth. But oh that one where they, yeah, it was on cable. What? But is the is the is the Dawn of the Dead the remake that that I had to watch for whatever the last one of his movies we did? What Superman movie or whatever? Um, is that the one where they're on the the roof of the mall and then yeah. the sniper dude yeah. hit another roof? Yep. And, yeah, and they're sending messages back to each yeah, other. Yeah, he has a whiteboard and then yeah. he turns into a zombie and he still fucks with the whiteboard. That part's no. kind of good. I, don't think I he, like that guy. What? I don't think he becomes a zombie and still fucks with the whiteboard, does he? The sniper? Yeah. Yeah, he does. I'm not oh. remembering that either. <laughs> oh, no way. Come on. I love that part. No, I, he turns I into a zombie when they go over to, to meet him yeah. to rescue him, and they hear over the radio that he's attacking someone. Are you saying but he they just... look over and then he zomb he gets up as a zombie and goes over to his white his whiteboard and kind of messes with it and like pretends to erase like Ugh. okay but he's not like writing messages it's not like he's a zombie right. still okay I thought right, he forgets how to write messages no right. no but he's still going because there the there are like Romero did this weird thing and it started in Day of the Dead with a silly. Land. Vampire named Bub, where uh, he has this idea that that zombies, zombies yeah, there's still humanity in there, and they evolve and they learn how to use tools and how to communicate. Yeah, no, no, it's not like that. that. That's okay. That's what I thought you were getting at. Because yeah, right, even right. even Zack Snyder knows better than that, Kelly Wand. No, he's more like the Harry Krishna zombie in the first one. Yeah, <laughs> but but when Tom was talking about Zombie Land in in that particular. That connotation, it reminded me of that. It reminded me of the, of the mall and then the guy way across the way and everything going on between them. Yeah, it's not quite as packed, the area, but I think that's partly why they call it Zombieland as well. Although they called it Zombieland before the, the area was stormed, though, just because I think they thought, hey, 
this is the kind of place zombies would come. I, yeah, uh, I don't know. Right. I don't know how it got the name Zombieland before this actual battle, but it did. So, mm. all right, Dingus, right. first favorite battlefield of all time from moviedom is. <laughs> all right, I think this is probably going to be obvious, but it's the uh, the field of Ashencore from Henry V. I already uh, think us about this in real life, by the way. Yeah, he messed with me about this, but I, but I do love that uh, that within the this actual whole sequence of it, and God, this movie is such a pleasure to watch every time I watch it. Oh my God, it's so much of a pleasure to watch um, that that uh, that Henry's is actually asking, "What is this field called?" Um, what is this battlefield called? Once they've figured out what everything is gone, it's called the Field of Agincourt, and then he goes on to talk about it. Now we think of it as the Battle of Agincourt, but in in the play uh, or in the movie, uh, he's asking, "What is this field called?" Um, and the reason I'm choosing this is because of the way the uh, the way I remember reading about this as I was studying this particular movie and studying the play at that time, which I think came out in 1989, um, and understanding how how, um, how the wetness of the field, how the wetness of the battlefield played into the victory of the English troops over the French and how important it was as far as at least the historians I was reading at the time, and I'm not sure that necessarily bears out, but I remember reading it, um, how their, the armor of the French, uh, who were so proud of their armor and their horses, actually often caused them to drown. Um, that might have been part of just the, uh, I don't know, the publicity of the movie or where the movie was going with it, but I believe that was part of the history of the event um, that their, their, their armor. And you see this in the costuming on both sides in the, in the movie, the French have, have chain mail, they have full armor and they're falling off their horses and they can't move out of this, just this mire of water. Mire might be the wrong word. Um, but th- th- there's something funny that happens to me watching it this particular time, because I remember making such a complaint about one of the movies we saw early on. I can't remember which movie it was. It was a, uh, I-, I don't remember what it was, but I was complaining about how it was raining. But, uh, but boy, it looks so sunny. Oh my God, that was the Carrie Mulligan thing where she yeah. grows up as a journalist, and yeah, you were so ang- you were so angry, Dingus. <laughs> <laughs> what was that movie called, Kellyanne? Where Dingus said, "No, oh, it doesn't look like it's raining." What was that? Oh, uh, Peter Sarsgaard, Carrie girl. Mulligan. No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly the movie I'm talking about. It was also, you know, a little girl. <laughs> you would be terrible no, at movies. Education, something. An education, an education, just yeah. an education. Um, so as I watch it this time, there's there's a bunch of scenes where the the French officers are dragging one of their others out of this. What looks like a small pond. I mean, there's so much water going on, um, but sun is just reflecting off of their armor so brightly. You also know that, you know, again, Brown's making a movie. He's shining lights on them. Nevertheless, I kind of felt a little guilty about liking it again. <laughs> uh, but, but there's so much other uh, stuff about this battlefield that I love that it's just, 
It's so muddy. It's so muddy and dirty and gross and slimy and fall downy. And I just took a bunch of screenshots as I watched it this week um, because I love the way that this battlefield doesn't look like this this big green expanse that we are fighting in, um, or even the the forest expanse that you, that you and I were talking about, Kelly Um But it's it's it, it's just muddy and gross and slippery, and and the guys that can move fastest are going to win. They're going to win. Um, and the guys that are heaviest are going to lose because they're going to drown. Uh, and the way that it, it, the way that the the, the battle in in, in Azure is shot, you, you get this feeling as it's shot that, uh, especially if you've seen the movie a number of times, well, maybe Kenneth Branagh was just shooting super close close up to a lot of these things. We're seeing like mud fly around. We're seeing these guys over here and these guys over there, but we're not seeing everything that's going on because he's trying to save money. This is the first movie he's made whatever um but eventually you get and i'm not just talking about that whole um donobis walking up sequence that he's doing but before that you see this huge pullback shot of of this awful gross dirty bloody muddy battlefield um once they've finally won after that whole thing about the the boys and the luggage which is i think just a shakespeare construction um being murdered um, and the, you know, one of Christian Bale's first movies, um, that whole thing. Uh, but la- later than that, after Montjoy has, has told him who actually won the battle, you see this whole shot of, of how grotesque, and I'm not talking about grotesque in the, in the sense of body grotesque, but how the landscape has just been just decimated by the fact of all these, these soldiers, these men running around killing each other, while there's rain and mud and grime, uh, and that particular battlefield, that just that way that the whole thing looks, uh, that's my absolute favorite battlefield of all time. Hmm. Agincourt. It's actually pronounced Agincourt. It is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not true. It's also pronounced Henry V. <laughs> actually, I will get grief for calling it Henry V. I know that. I've gotten grief for that before. Uh, why? You're supposed, to, you're supposed to say the fifth? You're supposed to say Henry the fifth or Henry the... Just Henry take the, the fifth on. Part one or part two. The, this movie has, has elements of the other parts of the sequence in that particular sequence of plays. Henry IV, you mean? It's got four, part one and part two. Because Henry V is just one. Yeah, one Henry v, yeah, yeah, but it's got it's got those other things. His false staff is folded in there as well. And, and and people, people object to calling it Henry V? That's crazy talk. Yeah, it'll, it will You know happen. what? No, you can call it Henry V if you're not a subject of the King of England, or Queen of England, as the case may be. We're Americans. We can call it whatever the heck we want. We're not beholden to their royalty. So right. you you just tell that to someone and next time they give you grief. And if they don't like me talking about it, they can just exit. That's right. They don't have to be a part of any sort of community, do they? Nope. Unbeholden. <laughs> Sorry. That is how they announced the results of the vote, wasn't it, Kelly? <laughs> yeah, <that sounds laughs> someone, someone came out and just proclaimed that, right? <laughs> that's an American saying that. Just to be clear. All right, we have a yeah. few listener emails here. Uh, we have Jaime Cabrera. Uh, hey, all. I hope I make it in time this week. Um, he wanted to get a full sense of the battle, full battlefield where the battlefield layout played out, a definite role in the outcome of the battle. Good. Um, so Jaime's number three, Star Wars Episode Two. Wait, what? Ugh. I thought he was going to say Force Awakens. 
I'm embarrassed to cite this one because it is, in my opinion, the worst of the three prequels, but the scene that starts at the end of the opening crawl, scene that starts at the end of the opening crawl, um, to about 60 wait, seconds what? in, where they make the mistake of the characters start speaking, is great. I love and hate the scene because it's just two Jedi fighters flying alongside a cruiser, and then suddenly they fly out past the larger ship, and the whole battle opens up before you literally with dozens of large ships and small fighters. Wait, I thought that was episode three. They're all prequels. No one cares. I mean, I, I mean, no, nothing two. personal, but just all, just put all those in a blender. I think nobody. Episode two opens with her Kira Knightley getting blown up, doesn't it? Kira Knightley. What are you talking about? Kira Knightley. She's, what? She's Portman's uh, decoy. No. In episode but, two. Knightley's not she dies in the first scene. That's not true. And then in episode three opens with the big battle. You that's, don't know who's fighting who. Kieran Knightley Lincoln's. wouldn't do a Star Wars movie. I'll never believe you. <laughs> Neither would Liam Neeson. Neeson. <laughs> I see what you did there, Tom. I, okay, so episode two. The famous space battle. Is he right, Dingus? Is Kieran Knightley really in one of those silly prequels? I can't believe that's true. Well, there is someone who plays Natalie Portman's like, uh, look-alike. Who's famous? I, but I thought that's it was. That's what I'm saying. That's really Kira Knightley. You're thinking it's yes. Kira Knightley? No, yeah. no, it's someone like like Olivia Thirlby or something like that. It's not Kira Knightley. Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Jaime's number two. We oh, were soldiers. Are... I never saw that. Uh, no, I didn't. Mel Gibson goes to Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah, I've seen this movie once and got the sense that you guys were not fans of this movie. I didn't see a little it. Jaime, since none of us have seen it. You're, I've seen it. I've seen it. I'm not a fan. Oh, but I'm not, a huge. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. Oh. We have we have a pretty good friend who loves it, and and I I couldn't be bothered to watch it. And I love giving him grief about that too. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I love the way this film shows you the maps of the battlefield from both sides, and you may really understand how landing zones and higher terrain and holding positions all fit into battle. There is a scene where the commanders keeping track of the battle from afar look down at a map, and there is one American flag surrounded completely by enemy flags on all sides. Hmm. That sounds good. Yeah, it actually does. <laughs> So I'm only thinking about uh, battle maps now. Um, so Jaime's number second number yeah. two. I'm going to call it his number one. Um, Saving Private Ryan. Hmm. I didn't know. Was there a battle on that? Uh, the final stand that they take at the end. Oh, I wasn't expecting this, Jaime. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the final stand that they take at the end has such a wonderful sense of making use of the terrain. They put a sniper in the tower, they blow the tracks off the tanks to block them, and funnel the troops elsewhere. The bridge acts as that final tunnel that everyone will need to cross, and where they ultimately have to fall back to. This scene has a lot to praise, such as the blown-out buildings, emotional climax, and such. But the battlefield itself is great here. Love the show, guys. Jaime, I I love that you didn't pick that opening scene. You totally surprised me. I would have to tell Jaime that uh, – here's what I have to say to Jaime. Jaime, earn this. <laughs> I, I like that. It reminds me that as in watching Henry V again this week, there is a moment where they're holding a bridge, and they talk about it, but it's kind of in passing. And you just think about that aspect of having to hold a bridge. And I didn't think about that last scene in Saving Private Ryan because I kind of don't like that movie. 
Um, Kelly Wand, what would Ben Foster say if he heard Dingus call it Henry V? Henry V spelled out properly <laughs> with an umlaut or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand, what does Ben Foster think of there being a sequel to The Mechanic without him uh, in which Jason Statham lived? Which he Karen did. Knightley blew up in the remake. <laughs> she was a decoy. <laughs> Ben Foster's really hung up on Kieran Knightley being in Star Wars, isn't he? It's not a hang-up. We're really after them. <laughs> Next also... letter. <laughs> he uses exhalation as a punctuation better than anybody I've ever heard. Right. to see if you're surprised. How would Ben Foster say Arthur's name? Ben Arthur. No, Arthur or emailer. Who's which one? Arthur or emailer, whose last name I can never pronounce. Arthur Jovanangeli. <laughs> wow, Ben. Well Sandwich. done. <laughs> First time out. Well done, Ben. I'm always the first time out. I only need one take. Do you guys remember that Warcraft movie? You don't even need the film. As long as it exists, it has power. And then all the books catch fire. So our our number three is is Edge of Tomorrow, as it turns out. Uh, The initial battle in which Cage lands on the beach and gains his power from the blood of America. Power! It's very referential to other beach battles, but certainly stands on its own with falling planes, lots of explosions, plenty of dead soldiers, and medics all over the place. Arthur Jovangeli, which Ben Foster says so much better than I do, his second one is District 9. Uh, Okay, District 9 itself makes a fantastic battlefield for the confrontation between the mech-wielding Wirkus and the MNU security forces. The alien slum consists of rundown shacks and piles of junk, taking professional soldiers battling an awkwardly piled uh, mech in a setting with a huge spaceship in the background. Uh, and then finally, Arthur's number one is 300 Rise of an Empire. Uh, during the final naval battle, many ships crash into each other, forming a makeshift island of wrecked sea vessels, some of which are on fire. There are so many that, um, oh gosh, I can't, it's Themistocles? Themistocles. Uh, Themistocles. <laughs> thank you, Ben. The <laughs> father of Themistocles. No, Themistocles. Ah, uh, thank you. Thank you. Themistocles. Thank you both. Um, Themistocles is able to ride a horse across the bridge of ships to reach Artemisia, Artemisia, allowing the two Artemisia battle. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Using crash ships to create a battlefield is a sight to behold, and the movie takes full advantage of this concept with the horse riding action sequence. We only have two more. Uh, Chris Webb, in an effort to spice things up a bit, I decided to make a list without war or genre movies. What? Feel free to mock with 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only watch black and white French movies. Uh-oh. That's fair. Although, for the record, I don't care for black and white French movies. So, Chris, number three. A black and white French movie, The Passion of Joan of Arc. Hmm. Battles for the Heart of France. The battlefield is the courtyard where Joan was burned at the stake where the townsfolk revolt against the church for killing a saint and are met with clubs and maces. Chris Webb's number two, The Seventh Seal. The Battlefield, a chessboard. Uh, How do you like that, Tom? Yeah, I'd, I'd, if I was a cop, I'd be pulling him over about now. Yeah, he's he's going to have to go. and You can play chess in jail, in the yard. Um it's been a while since I've seen it, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I expected this kind of thing. I expected it from Kelly, but not from you, Chris. Um, and Chris Webb's number one, a quote, They taught us that no one who loves the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. Uh, the movie, The Tree of Life. The battle, the way of nature versus the way of grace. Uh, see, Dingus? Yeah, you're right. The battlefield, Jack's heart. Oh, my God. Yeah. Throw him, yeah. Throw him in prison. Throw away the key. It's the last we'll ever see of Chris. I was going to let him be in the in the, you know, in that area where you can play chess with other prisoners. But yeah, take away his yard privileges. There. Yeah, no, no, no yard solitary. privileges for you, yeah. Chris Webb. Yeah. It's like War of the Solitary. Worlds. Yeah. Microscopic. Uh, the movie exists within this battlefield, and without it, one of my favorite movies would not exist. Jesus Christ. He and then he goes on to say, I was also <laughs> thinking there must That's be a metaphorical idea. battle. In at least one Woody Allen. You've already done a more metaphorical battle, Chris. Yeah. You. No, he's doing all metaphorical battles. I was so careful not to do a metaphorical battle. Or even a Woody Allen battle from Love and Death. Anyway, Chris Markinson is our next Chris. Chris Markinson. Hey, guys. I really battle wanted Chris. to use the Matara Nebula. <laughs> oh, that's a battlefield. I mean, that's allowed, right, Dingus? What? You know what he's talking about? <laughs> Jesus. Dingus loves on. the Nutari Nebula. He's totally Nutari into Nebula is one of my favorite music picks. That Tell I... you one, that's where Khan and Kirk fight in the the battle of the, of the their ships. Oh my god! It's true. Oh my god! It's true. Oh my god! It is true. The, anyway, Nutarian Nebula. Yeah, the Nutari Nebula. The Nutarian Nebula. Nutar- stop it! Stop you guys. Sorry, the Blue Tari Nebula. Sorry, Blue Tarian. Yep. It's blue- it's, it's, it's where the Blutarians come from. Yep. Right, Solaris is purple. That's where the purple Aryans come from. Are there any more consonants you guys want to throw out? <laughs> All right, so Chris decided instead of, of focusing on space to try to focus on cities as battlefields. Number three, in London has fallen. Mm. <laughs> the city of London has become a battlefield as the bad guys succeed in blowing up landmarks and unfortunate Canadian prime ministers. <laughs> Yeah. And Italians and French. Let's not yep. let's not dis- uh, discriminate well, the, against them. Well, the climax- oh, Chris, Chris Paul calls out the Canadians because Chris Markinson is Canadian, of course. Those are his people. Right. Yeah, we all. You know what? We've all got skin in that game. In London has fallen. See, we've all got skin in that game. As a sports but reference, you, Kelly Wand, you wouldn't understand yeah. it. Yeah. But he also mentioned the song or the piece of music skin from. He mentioned skin from a movie. Wait, what? Uh, when we were just talking last, what, what, what piece of music? When we were talking about ne- uh, Neon Demon, he talked about skin. <sighs> Never mind. I was just doing a sports reference. It has to do with the fact that when you play sports, one team is shirts, one team is skins. So the skins are in the game. Oh, I see. One solid. We've got skins in the game. 
We're all talking about practice. Anyway, uh, oh, he's talking about the. There's a piece of music called Skin from um, Ex Machina. That's what. Oh it yeah, 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 right, right. If you'd said Ex Machina, dingus, I would have got it. But when you yeah, mentioned yeah. the yeah the name of the track, it just in one ear and out the other. So. I thought you were doing a callback. Anyway, well, the climactic battle takes place in a building. I did like how the city was used from the helicopter flying through it to the Gerard Butler and Aaron Eckhart traveling through the city on foot, looking for a place to hide. Mm. Oh really, Kelly Wan? Now you're getting picky. You're not going to accept that? Well, you can't see the whole field. You know, you get like some... it's, not, it's different. They're in subways or they're in the air. Like, what's the field? There's that all of entire London. part of Earth. All of London. Yeah. And the air above it and the tunnels under it. Well, that? Chris did did actually post on the front page of Quarter 3 to ask me how confined I was keeping the topic. Aren't there enough real battlefields and movies where we don't need to... All I know, Kelly, one... Trees of life. Look, I'm not saying there are no battlefields. Some people have said there aren't. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. My apologies. Chris Markinson's number two choice is Enemy at the Gates. One of the most famous... (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Hollywood really has it in for Chris Markinson. I don't know what that is. (sighs) You know, Stalingrad is not a good battlefield, you're saying. Stalingrad does not qualify. Uh, I don't know. This movie didn't hold up for me. I feel like. Oh, in that case, yeah. In that case, nobody can pick it. In that <laughs> case, it shouldn't be on Chris Markinson's list. You're going. Really Barney fifing this up. I love that you're debiting right now. You're you're much more astring you're astringent. You're much more strict as a deputy than you are as an actual sheriff. The more we talked about it, the more specific it felt. So Chris says, enemy at the gate. <laughs> One of the most That's... famous and significant battlefields of the Mana era, Stalingrad is a bombed-out wreck of a city that would wind up being the doom of more than 800,000 Axis soldiers. The movie does a decent uh-huh. job of presenting the wreckage of the city and how the buildings and terrain are used to fight. Do you guys know what other movie uh, uses the Stalingrad as a battlefield as a significant part of the character development? Tell us. Rod Lurie's Straw Dogs remake with James Marsden as a screenwriter making a movie about the Battle of Stalingrad. What does he call it? He calls it Straw Dogs. Oh, what does he call the, the his? You know, what does he call his movie? Does he call it Stalingrad? <laughs> <laughs> that's as good, Kelly. One, that's as good as anything else in that movie. Stalingrad's yeah. mm. uh, a good pick. So I forget what I said before. I like the way that you said Stalingrad because it did sound a lot like Ben Foster. Stalingrad. Was my ranking in college? <laughs> Chris Markets is number one. In Black, in Black Hawk Down, the city of Mogadishu is the battlefield, and it does well to show the nightmare that urban combat can be. Tight, narrow streets and alleyways with windows and rooftops everywhere for the enemy to try and snipe at you. Blind corners where the enemy can ambush you and be a very angry populace, cutting off points of exit and entry. Thanks, guys, Chris. I don't know why Markinson picked that and not American Sniper. Yeah, why would he do that? That's really cool. Uh, Do you guys have any um, runners up? Yeah, Lord of the Rings, colon, The Hobbit, colon, Battle of the Five Armies. (sighs) I love CG battlegrounds. How else are you going to do CG, Kelly Wand? I mean, are you going to do battles, Kelly Wand? I'm just saying, it's battlefield or ground. It's the actual terrain. 
Kelly Wonder, are you going to hire... Lord of the Rings. You can't ding it for having CG, because are you going to hire real dwarfs, me, real elves, and real orcs to fight? No. Let me they ask They don't you. exist. You have to CG them. <laughs> no, no. That, they're, they're CG, but what's the terrain that they're fighting on in that battle? I can tell you. Like, the field in front of Erebor, between Erebor's entrance, the cave, uh, and then the city where the Ereborians used to live, and then the cave where the smog dragon lived. And then there's okay. a... There's a river, dragon. and there's a there's a bridge over the river. I can see it right now. And then there's the big uh, promontory where uh, Azog gives his orders to the orcs. Yeah. And then I there's know. the fields of Pelennor, which they move over to there for the, just for that battle. Dingus, that is between Minas Tirith and Gundabad? No. Gundabad. Shoot, no, what's the other? Kellyon, what's on the other side of fields of Pelennor, across from Minas Tirith? Uh, that's Henway... <laughs> Meadows. Okay, you know what? You guys are not the Tolkien nerds that I am. I'm the. I'm uh, the come on, never say that. How dare you? Yep, I'm the only How Tolkien nerd you? on this podcast. You guys are no. full of pretenders. You called me Tom Bombadil for years. <laughs> scathingly, scathingly. Dol Guldur. Dol Guldur. Isn't that what's across? <laughs> Isn't that what's across the fields of Pelennor from Minas Tirith? Seriously, yeah. seriously. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. See, can I get a high five? A little bit. Yeah. All right. It's you guys, couple Azeroth. Here's what I got to put up with: doing a podcast with a couple of non-Tolkien nerds. Dolgoldur. Dolgoldur. <laughs> who don't appreciate Dumbledore. the, the five Dumbledore. armies. No, mm-hmm. Dumbledore's something different. It doesn't have sort of a. Aren't the Eagles an army? That's six armies. They show up at the end too, as they're, usual. They're fighting for one of the. Actually, what are the five armies? There's the dwarfs, the elves, the humans at Rivertown, the orcs. What is the fifth army? I should know this. The gnomes. No, there's no gnomes. Kelly, one seriously, what is the fifth army in Battle of Five Arts? Elves, humans, dwarves. Orcs. Orcs. Hobbits. What's the fifth one? No, there's only one hobbit. That's what, what I'm saying. The eagles are an army, so they can have five. It's That's not true. The eagles aren't there. Are, are, are you serious? Yeah. They're an army of eagles. They should be an air force. Dingus, you should know this. You know the hobbit. Yeah, I'm, Maybe saying, there's... Ho- I'm saying hobbits should be included. I'm trying to think. What no, is there's the... only one of them, though. One man army. Come on, yeah. That army of exists. one. That was a whole campaign for many years in this country. I guess you're right, Kelly Wand. Is it really the Eagles? That's supposed to be the fifth army. That makes no sense to me. Because they're not fighting on their own. They show up to help. I don't know what the elves. Who side are they on? They always help the dwarves. Might have been the Steelers. They help the hobbits. They like hobbits. Eagles love hobbits. Although they really. This. I find this really distressing. Hmm. The eagles shouldn't be an army. Though. Well, maybe the five well, army, maybe the army that they're against. See, Wait, Ke- see Kelly Wan, see what I have to put up with? Does Smog count as an army? If no, Dingus he's dead. Gonna he's, give... Smog is dead at this point. That's right. Okay, so, so it was Battle of the Six Armies for a second. Well, no, Luke Evans Luke Evans kills Smog in the first, like, reel. Oh, his character's really interesting. Luke Evans is? Are you serious? Come on, he's awesome in that. That's why he's so important in Lord of the Rings. I don't even... What, oh, we should get that guy who killed the dragon. Let's get that archer. No, okay, I'll take Lyle. No, he leads the humans. Like, he's trying to... He, he, he talks to... What's the main dwarf? Dude? Balin? Oaken? Whatever that guy's name. He talks to that dwarf, trying to say, Hey, dude, uh, you know, make good with your deal. Give us some of the gold. Like, he's so like... one the, of the armies is only 12 dwarves. I still think That's it's... it's, it's no, it's, because Dale, Dane Proudfoot shows up to help the dwarves in Erebor. I, th- I still think it's the goblins or the gnomes or whatever those other dudes are. There's, so there's two bad armies. Oh, like maybe orcs and Urukai or something. Okay. 
I'll but aren't there that. gnomes That's or goblins or something? There's no gnomes. There are goblins. There's like goblins in Goblin Town or the Under King or whatever that nonsense is. Well, I think it's the geezers. I think it's goblin. At any rate, I just want to point out I'm the biggest Tolkien nerd on this podcast. I'm just saying. You can name four of the five armies. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So other runners up or uh, if not, it's Kelly Wands. I have one one more runner up, and this is uh, courtesy of of talking about uh, Gettysburg earlier this evening with uh, our friend Alexandra, um, who, as I discussed, this whole idea of running through the forest and that that battlefield, like, like a forest battlefield. She's like, well, you just described the whole thing you just described is the opening of the Revenant, um, and I thought her pick was actually much better than the thing from Gettysburg. Is that that sequence where there's that whole Indian attack in uh, at, uh, of the uh, of the trappers and the way that battlefield looks as the trees are being um, uh, burned. Uh, so that opening of the Revenant would be the runner-up, but that's courtesy of somebody else. So, Dingus, I looked it up. Sorry, uh, you were right. The men from Lake Town, the elves from Mirkwood, the dwarves from the Iron Hill under Dane, then orcs from Dol Guldur, and orcs slash goblins from Gundabad. So, Dingus, you're right. There were two bad armies. Dingus wins the Tolkien Nerd Award. Wait, but it's, it's orcs and orcs? Well, orcs under Azog, they're the ones from Dol Guldur. <laughs> And yeah. then there are the orcs and goblins under the command of Bolg, who are from Gundabad. Oh, okay. So goblins do figure into it. All right. Yeah, but not gnomes, Dingus. You were saying gnomes. That's something in World of Warcraft, please. Right. Gnomes. Well, so the, the, Hobbit, the hobbits took a gnome with them wherever they went and took selfies with them. No, they didn't. They did. Kelly Wand, what is next week's 3 by 3 Is it... Finally, something exciting. Favorite armies who fought outside of the gates of Erebor. Is that what it is? Stop saying Erebor. <laughs> why, <laughs> why do you Sorry, not like bro. that word? I don't know. It gives me the creeps. <laughs> Are you getting dragon sickness when I say it? It's just a little woozy. The wooziness in my feet. Dragon sickness. My proud feet. More importantly, is what Balin Oakenshield or whatever his name was catches when he when they don't give him the Arkenstone, he gets dragon oh, sickness. Right before, what do you, right before he goes to Pern. Smog is dragon sickness, and Bard's the cure, like Cobra. Very good, Kelly Wand. That should be a tag. No, 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 no. You sound like you sound like a two year old who's just learned that word, Kelly Wand. Why the two-year-old you... Ben Foster. <laughs> That's it. It's your invitation of Ben Foster's infanthood. Kelly Wand, what is next week's 3 by 3 How can the listeners participate? And furthermore, what movie will we be seeing next week? In that order. For the first thing you said, next week's 3 by 3 topic is, um, you know how in movies where <laughs> they uh, – Decide something by spinning a wheel, and it turns into a decision. So it's three best wheels of decisions in movies. So if you'd like to participate in this contest and be part of Internet Magic History, send your three best wheels of decisions in movies to 3x3 at quarter3.com, and I will misread them on the air or read them as Ben Foster. Especially, by the way, if there are any listeners who know anime, please send in your detailed uh, 
accounts of how this figures into some anime plot because that's really Kelly Wan's strength. Is or just it, don't write in at all. No, we give us your detailed anime plot synopses so that that might relate to this three by three. We love those. Yeah. Oh yeah. So then, Kelly Wan, where can they send those, and then what movie will we see? Uh, I gave the address already, but <laughs> okay. I'll give it again. I gave it, man, the already. Gave the address already. It was three x three at quarter to three dot com. Mm-hmm. Just Google it. Fuck. Ow. Sorry. And then next week we'll be seeing the motion picture everyone's waited twenty years to see. I'm speaking, of course, of the new Twin Peaks sequel. What's, what's that called, by the way? It's called Indesurgence in Day Repentance. Tweaks. Independence in, Day in colon Resurgence. See that? If you if you have any comments about the movie, send those also in to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com under a separate subject header. We're happy to read those. You might have questions about the movie, by the way. It's probably got a very complex plot. If you have any questions about that plot, send those to us. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll bring it Wait, in. what? Is yeah. that a new thing we're doing? No, but if people have questions about a movie, we're happy to answer them, right? What if we, yeah, but what if we don't know? Well, Kelly, well, we'll figure it out. It's questions like, what's the Fifth Army at the Battle of Five Armies? Maybe people who saw that Hobbit movie would have wanted to know that. They could have asked us. We would have told them. Right. Uh, okay. yeah, yes, Kelly, go on. I feel like the listeners usually tell us what we fucked up. So it's like they listen just to hear us make mistakes. And and, but yeah, correct. if you also need to correct anything we say, like for instance, Kelly Wan getting things wrong about Tolkien. Danish and Dutch. Or Danish and Dutch, right? Nationalities. Uh, feel free to send those corrections in as well. well I think I might have gotten Kagamusha mixed up with Tampopo too. Uh, that's Jodorowsky, isn't it? No, it's Japanese. Oh, I'm thinking of El Topo. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Never mind. Let's get out of here before I make more mistakes. I uh, Thank you for listening. I have been disaster. Tom Chick. I am joined by Christian Moltzbloskli. It's Christian Moroski. It's exactly the way I said it. And we had Kelly Wand. Fuck you, Liv. <laughs> That's supposed to be Liv Tyler. No, it's his wife. It was a a can thing. Because Liv Tyler was trying to be a model for a while, right? Um, Trying? Sorry. Wait, you think that Neon Demon's dedicated to Liv Tyler? Liv Tyler? I don't know. I guess it could be. She's a... She was also in Lord of the Rings, Battle of the Five Armies. No. Oh. How come she wasn't at that battle? Because of reasons. But Elrond's at the other battle, right? Maybe. Does he raise his hand and light comes out of it? Kelly, one the time for questions is, is past. You should have asked those earlier. Oh. Okay. La 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 Dingus, I feel like I'm the Jesse of the bunch. Are you high? Hmm. Not sure how to answer that. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. 
We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! 